0: We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Warramai and Wannarua peoples. We acknowledge the Waramai and Wannarua elders, both past and present.
1: Uh, I love All right.
0: that. All right, we're ready to go?
2: who was on the field for the Newcastle Knights. Darren Tracy's first touch of the footy. Now Andrew John, fights a little hole himself, he's close, try. he reaches out, that's a try to Andrew John. Root streak from the little halfback, and that's a good reward for a great game. It is blue match for the Newcastle Knights in first grade. Andrew Johnson... Coming to you live from Warramide,
0: and Awabakal Lands, this is the Bay 53 podcast, part of the Sports Best Friends podcasting network with your friends, Bredo and the K-Dog, and one very special guest. The men of the Knights this time round go into the bye round off a win, and what a win it was over our old rival, the Manly Sea Eagles. Yes, it wasn't pretty at times, but damn it, it was ultimately successful. And despite our best efforts during the game, the Knights men's season is still, still alive. As always, there's lots to talk about in the world of Rugby League, including Origin, including the women's game, including everything that just involves the greatest game of all. Let's not waste any more time. Bretto, how good
2: was yesterday? Mate, it's a win over Manly. I'll take that every season. If we win one game a year, we beat Manly. I'm a happy man.
0: And at the end of the day, we, we the men go through the season undefeated against the Manly Sea Eagles, which is ultimately what you want. You don't want to be losing a game to, um, I don't care how much times have changed. You know, they're the old rival. They're scum. They'll always be the silver tails. So we get through another season where we don't lose to them and uh, life is good again.
2: Absolutely. Like, as I said, if we win one game a year it's against Manly, undefeated. We What, we've got at least another eight or nine months so they can beat us. Happy days
0: hey mate we've got a lot to talk about tonight and we do have a really special guest uh, host that's uh, joining us this evening uh, you and i have been really excited about this for a while just to get a different perspective on the game um, we've sort of observed this um, particular individual online just that passion for sport um, that that unbelievable passion for the nights um, that uh, you and i always question someone's sanity when we do see it so let's get let's bring in our special guest and uh, lavender bye thank you very much for joining us us here on the Bay 53 podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I feel like this is it's a match made in heaven. All I ever do is talk to people in sport about the nights, and for once people actually like the Knights and it's not just me.
0: So I uh, so I just I've got look we're going to give you a, a, a you know the, the floor, the, you know walk down the red carpet, take the microphone. I mean Tell us your story. What what um what brought you to the Newcastle Knights? How did you wind up with the Newcastle Knights? Uh, tell us a bit about your journey in terms of explain. Uh, sorry, <laughs> explaining um, supporting the Newcastle Knights because uh, as we sort of said before we pressed record, you know it's not for the faint of heart. You've got to have the toughest of characters um, to do it. And when you make that choice to align your um, your life to the Newcastle Knights. You don't do it lightly. So, um, yeah. Please, what brought, uh, what brought lavender to, um, to the red and blue?
1: Well, basically, I'm not a coward, and I feel like you, even <laughs> a sports team. When you are born, I was born and raised in Newcastle, grew up in Waratah West. My dad was a Knights fan. Granted, my uncle is a Manly fan, which I only found out recently that he is not a Knights fan. But yeah. Born a Knights fan and I was born in 98. So I was born in like the good the good few years we had there where it was a really good time to be a Knights fan. And then thankfully I actually left Newcastle in 2007, moved to South Australia for 10 years. <laughs> so I sort of got the best of the best and then when things started to go south, left and went to the other side of the country and then just got to live in blissful ignorance. I don't even think – the NRL was broadcast in South Australia when I first moved there. And, yeah, but I'm not a coward, so I'm not going to change teams. I am of the belief that you have a team, it is thrust upon you at birth, and you have to stick with it. And that does mean that every single one of my sports teams has disappointed me this year. But sometimes that's just the way that it works, and the NRLW season is right around the corner, mm. which means we'll have a team worth rooting for again.
2: I will I will quickly point out the fact that Lav like me is a Liverpool fan. I like the K who's he's one of those oh. dirty one of those dirty Arsenal gooners. So wow,
0: rip I that like, band aid right off straight up, are we? Yeah. I feel like
1: I need to say we did badly.
2: Yeah, but I but- would-
1: I would rather be a Liverpool fan this season yeah. than be an Arsenal fan.
2: Yeah, 100%. They, they were so cocky about six weeks ago. Yeah. So cocky.
1: Granted, my my Instagram memory yesterday was uh, me at the pub having gone to the A-League men's final straight into last year's Champions League final, where oh, I was six
2: hours
1: oh right at the pub at nine o'clock in the morning. So I don't know if I can talk because that was definitely me last season, but yeah, so it's not been a good time being a Knights, Jets, Liverpool fan. Um yeah. but at least I'm not an Arsenal fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh so so Bretto, I discussed this with Bretto over the weekend. He sort of said, um and you, you do know, mate, that, um, you know, Lab and I, we're both Liverpool fans, so you're going to cop it. And I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm very realistic about these things and I do appreciate good friendship. And Bredo has been a good friend to me for for many years. Um, and so I said, look, you know, the way I see it is that there's going to be a lot of joy that you two are going to get out of, um, be, out of me being an Arsenal supporter, which is only fair considering the season that Liverpool has just had. Can I say, and... This is going to sound like only the highest quality copium that you could possibly come across is that I know this is easy to say in hindsight, but I do promise you that not winning the Premier League title this season, it it doesn't hurt as much as I thought it was going to. I, I really thought I'd get to the 38th game. And I just wanted—I just want to forget that Arsenal even existed. But uh, look, I because I've—I've I've suffered. I've suffered supporting sports teams, and you've got to remember, at the beginning of the season, people didn't even expect uh, Arsenal to be a threat for the top four. So the fact that we finished five points away from Manchester City at the end of the day, we we, we locked in top two. We've got Champions League next season. We've improved. We've improved three places every full season that um that Mikel has taken. I'm I'm realistic about where the team is. Um, but oh yeah, oh, oh, three weeks ago I was I was not a happy camper. I was not a good person to be around.
1: To be fair, that was like Liverpool came very close. Like, at one point, uh, it would have been maybe. Two weeks ago, a year ago, I was in the same boat. We were gonna get yeah. we were gonna win everything.
2: Yeah. yeah. And then
1: it oh so quickly went so far downhill. And you think losing the Champions League is bad? Wait until you aren't in the Champions League the next year.
0: <laughs> I, I don't yeah. I don't have to wait. I've been I've been enjoying that for the last six
2: years.
1: <laughs> oh, just...
2: I, I will say I think losing the league to City doesn't hurt as much as if you lost it to United or Arsenal or yeah. Chelsea. I think the fact that City are known cheats it sort of does make it not quite as painful. I, I um, I think
1: losing to City is like losing to the Roosters. Like it doesn't. Yeah, you're
2: right. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. Can I ask you guys this? And this is
0: a genuine question. On but if
2: Manchester City didn't exist, a Liverpool winning five in a row. Yeah. No. No. I I don't think so because I think that the hunger would have gone once we'd won a few in a row. Yeah. Okay. But. but I also think that this Liverpool team would be considered one of the greatest Premier League teams in the history of the sport. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're going to go down. Maybe if, if things don't improve, what we're going to win, one Champions League, or one of everything. You know, it doesn't really sort of make you one of the greatest, does it?
1: That's true. It hurts me but it's true.
2: You know, because and and at <laughs> the, the, the end of the day, like, we got 97 points and didn't win the league. 97 points and didn't win the league. And then ninety two points, you didn't win the league. Like it's crazy, because you you finished second
0: behind Manchester City four four seasons out of five. Did you crack ninety in all four of those seasons? I know uh, you did in the season that you won. You got yeah. So
2: ninety. So we had a ninety seven. We got we lost by a point last year. We got over ninety. Lost. I think we've cracked over ninety four times for one win in three seconds. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, right. Hey, Lav. I'll, I'll ask you this as well. I mean, the Knight story obviously speaks for us. But you – I mean, I'm going to assume, and I do apologise if I'm being too presumptuous, you are probably a bit young for the Craig Johnston hype. But, again, is, is Liverpool something that was handed down to you from your dad?
1: No. My dad is actually uh, – I think he, last time I heard him talk about – my dad's not huge into the Premier League. Um, I think last time I heard him talk about it, he said he was a Spurs fan. Oh, very left of field.
2: Wow. Um,
1: yeah, I got really into Liverpool because I used to live with a bunch of guys that were big into Liverpool. So I yeah. had always grown up like my dad is Croatian. My dad played for the Jaffers for years, not in like NPL or anything, in like
2: yeah.
1: the 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 dad league. Um, <laughs> but yeah, grew up watching football, but. I yeah I don't have the Premier League dad connection
0: at all. I uh, I I loathe Tottenham Hotspur like and it's it's actually not an Arsenal th- like it probably was bred from that but the thing that I really really um I really struggle with with Tottenham is that they and I I mean who's a like who's the t- there's a lot about I can't think of a team in the NRL that's as useless as the as Spurs because at least most teams in the NRL appear to you know, be relatively successful to the coverage that they get, but I always feel like everyone's talking up Spurs, like yeah, one, but they they don't win anything. They won a they won a, a league cup what fifteen years ago. That's been their biggest success. So I like I like in Spurs the Cronulla
2: in the last twenty years. Oh I yeah, they don't have that one title, but they've been a top side now for so long. Yes, and and they've got one one grand final appearance to show for it. Spurs are very Cronulla to me.
1: I uh, to me they're very para.
2: Oh, para. oh, Yeah, Yeah, para. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Players,
1: You couldn't ever say that Spurs are a bad team. Yeah.
2: But
1: they've got a fair amount of investment. They've yeah. got a fair amount of decent players, but yeah. they never do anything.
2: And a big fan base. With,
1: yeah. good, Big fan base. Yeah. Everything, yeah. everything across the board is good. Yeah. But they always manage. And, to and manage. They're,
2: they're never a threat. And no stage do ever like that. Champions League final against Spurs. There was no way I ever thought we couldn't win. It was just Spurs. There was no way. I was I was sweating a little bit, Bruno. (laughs) Yeah, but there was just it was just we were never going to lose because it was just Spurs. Like, what
1: are your thoughts on them wanting Ange Postacoglu?
2: No, I I love
0: I love Ange. So I love Ange too much. I just I want to keep loving Ange, and if he goes to Spurs, I cannot bring myself to to love Ange anymore. So no,
1: that it makes sense for Ange to go to. No,
2: I, I think I think Ange needs a bottom of the. Table. Yeah, I think he needs a club. Yeah,
1: I either he, needs to go. I,
2: I, if you went to Spurs and if you went to Spurs and failed, I think that then sends him back down the ladders considerably.
1: I think he either needs to get a team that is like he. As much as it would pain me, he either needs to go to like Everton and take yeah. them. The Rink of yeah,
2: Everton, Everton's a good side. You know, plenty of money backing them. Yeah, Everton. or yeah,
1: the only but the only club that makes sense. He's been a Liverpool boy his whole life. Yeah, he needs to take over from Jurgen Klopp. That is what I want.
2: Very, <laughs> <Me>, very, <laughs> <me, laughs> <me, me, me laughs> the have discussed this over the time. I just, let's see, my problem is that I, I'm the same. I love Ange. And if you fought at Liverpool, I would no longer love Ange. So I sort of wanted to stay away from our club.
1: I do think he needs to go somewhere, though. My biggest gripe with this season is I hate, you can sack, sacking one manager, fair enough. You sack more than one manager. Yeah,
2: that's a. I don't yeah. understand how has been ridiculous, hasn't it? Been ridiculous. There
1: are people year? that have so much that get paid so much money to be the brains behind these clubs. If you're sacking two or sometimes three managers in a season, how do you not have the critical thinking ability to go, yeah. you know what? Maybe it's not the manager. Maybe it's like I look at Chelsea.
2: They're paying oh, just, managers. Yeah. Chelsea yeah. are paying four managers out at the moment. Four.
1: And I went to Chelsea, I went on, I lucked out last year and uh, the British Tourism Department flew me to England to tour football stadiums. It was just the most insane thing I've ever done in my life. But I was over there just after, I think I arrived like a week after Todd Bowley took over at Chelsea and was in that Oh, he's going to spend all this money. But now they've spent all this money.
2: Yeah, I was I was filthy when he when he came in. He came in with the same FSG model of you know investment. And I thought, oh no, these guys got to spend money. Chelsea going to be good. FSG going to look even worse now. And I've gone, oh no, no, we, we dodged that bullet. We dodged a bullet.
1: Todd Bowley would have spent like how many tens of millions of dollars to finish twelfth.
2: Yes, yeah, so they've Kelsey spent they've spent six hundred million still pounds.
1: Old, they're still 600,
2: Palace. Six hundred million pounds they've spent in the last eighteen months. I think you're burying the
0: lead a bit there. I think the, the lead is actually Frankie Lampard winning is what was it something like 14% of his matches yeah. This entire Premier League, so he he relegated Everton. I think his biggest failure was that he didn't manage to relegate two teams in one season. That would have been incredible <laughs> if he'd been able to do that. Um, hey, Love, I, I want to ask you one more, and this is a a sort of slightly personal question, I guess. And I, I'm because I am always fascinated, and I do need to be careful because I I I want to make sure that I ask the question in the spirit with which it's intended but i mean you know until very recently you know it's well no i guess still it's not easy being a massive sports fan and and female in in modern society what sort of kept that passion going i mean you know we we sort of see some of the difficulties that you face online with um you know with your passion for sport but certainly before The social media like did you did you find it difficult to maintain that passion or was it just something that you were tunnel visioned all about you're like no i love the knights i love liverpool you know fuck everybody else and or you just didn't even think about it you were just like no i'm just loving sport i don't know what else is going what sort of maintained that passion for you to continue to be the massive sports fan that you are
1: um i think two things i think and i've had this conversation with quite a few women entering the sports space now But I came from a media background. I was at Pedestrian TV. I was at Junkie. I was doing lots of youth media things where I remember one of my first, I would have been like 19, wrote a story about not liking avocado. And I reckon I got cyber (laughs) cyber cyberbullied to the point where we had to block people on work socials for like six weeks straight. Oh, wow. And you start in youth media and I think the benefit is you have an employer and you have like the the team around you to make sure you don't have a complete and utter mental breakdown, but you get the worst of it from the get-go. Now, I I have men calling me annoying and that I don't know anything. And the interesting thing is, and I've noticed this recently, any male commentator, like you look at the guys on Fox Sports, on Channel 9, on all these things, All they do is just give opinion. Most of it is not based on any fact. They're just telling you how they feel. People will disagree with them, but that's about it. They might tell them where to go. Being a woman, it is the second you have an opinion that people don't agree with. Like I made a TikTok being like, like, we have no business as New South Wales not starting Campbell Graham. It was before he pulled out with injury. I posted a screenshot of him being listed as the 18th man and they all these people were like you don't know anything like he's clearly out with injury what 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 the hell would you even know you clearly don't know anything and I'm like if I like so many men made this like I'm not making groundbreaking points I'm Mm. actually saying the same thing as a lot of other people but it's weirdly being a woman and I've noticed a lot of it one there are a million and one men but I feel like my content everything that I do is not I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea and I'm totally okay with that.
0: Lavender, you're you, you talking, you, trust us when we know about not being everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> we're, we're not, um, we're not about popular content here. So you you're, you're well, I, look thing.
1: I look at it and I'm like, I've, I learned long ago that I am not everyone's cup of tea. Like the amount of times I have my dad send me, send me my own tweets and be like, what the hell are you talking about? You're an idiot. <laughs> like the call is coming from within the house. Yeah, But I look at it and I'm like, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. But then I get these men that will absolutely come to me. And then I look at their accounts and who they're following. I'm like, cool. So like Football Australia are uh, working with me. The A-League are working with me. The NRL are working with me. All these organizations that you respect, yeah. clearly respect me enough,
2: Yeah, want to work yeah.
1: with me. And then some like first name bunch of numbers on Twitter disagrees with me and I meant to take that to heart. And I get it. Like, if you say something that's genuinely constructive, I take it on board. But it's, like, realistically, all the people that don't like what I'm doing aren't the people I'm d- – like, my big thing is, like, I hate gatekeeping in sport because yeah. growing up – and I've spoken to lots of women about this, particularly in rugby league.
0: No, hang on. Sorry. Uh, pretend like I'm an idiot. We probably don't have to – gatekeeping? What do you mean when you talk about gatekeeping?
1: Just be, it's that whole mentality of like, you know how people like, you can't wear a band shirt if you don't, if you can't name 10 of their songs.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. I know what you're talking you, about.
1: You yeah. Can't get in on it, which I hate in sport because like that mentality and that like, it's a boys club and you're not part of it keeps so many people out of it and yes. stopped me from talking about sport for a long time. And you see it a lot. I think the big one at the moment is everyone's like that with Formula One now that drive to survivors out yep but i don't understand why you can't just like literally i had not watched a single singular grand prix hadn't even watched drive to survive went to singapore for a work trip for the grand prix and now i'm obsessed with it and you could say that i'm like a fake fan or whatever no i just watched a thing and decided that i liked it
2: that's the point of sport (laughs) the point of sport and marketing is to attract new participants and new viewers like it's it makes no sense. The big thing for Knights is it happens to a lot, especially female Knights fans, is that if they can't recite every word of the 97 grand final, they they are Knights. Oh, fans. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, just, and I know who you're talking. Yeah, Caleb I know who you're referring, referring
1: to. About the Knights. That's the mentality. Yeah. I had someone say that to me once. And I was like, I have been a fan of the Newcastle Knights for longer than most of the people in our team have even been alive. Do not start with me. Yeah. Yeah. I've been through all the misery.
2: And people of your age didn't get the good times. I I was, you know, I was of age when we started winning premierships. You know, I got to enjoy the good times. It's people like you that didn't get that that are now still on board. Like, that gets my respect because I'm going, at least I had these memories of going to the Workers' Club in 97 and I was at 2001, you know, like, and then I see you guys that have just lived through the misery and go, they're the real fans. They Mm. haven't had any fun.
1: See mm. I do have some good memories. I had a moment it was a real full circle moment recently where I was up at McDonald Jones Stadium for the Matilda's Cup of Nations game and it was the first time working at me like I've worked there a few times now, but it was my first ever time doing media work at McDonald Jones and I was walking around the pitch before the game started. and I saw like where I used to sit with my dad going to night's games as like a young young kid. and I vividly remember where we used to sit. And it was this weird full circle moment to be like, wow, this is like all of my love of sport stems from, I think it was Energy Australia Stadium at the time actually, but stems Mm. from being in that stadium, watching the Knights play, watching the Jets play, getting around like real Newcastle sport. And then coming back was this really nice full circle moment to be like, oh, it's nice to be back where it all started.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lav, I want to ask you one more question before we... being a Newcastle you know nothing nothing ever changes so that you get those moments where you know you can relive really your glory in 10 15 years time that's to me that's part of you know being a knight's fan and being a Newcastle in general
1: oh yeah
0: Love, I want to ask you one more question before we do move on to more uh, contemporary Knights issues. And and I've got to ask you because, I mean, he, Andrew Johns is the greatest footy player. When I say footy player, I'm talking, you know, rugby league, uh, soccer you, that I've actually <laughs> ever seen with my own eyes. Do you have fond memories of Joey as a player? I mean, how do you, when you think of Andrew Johns, how do you recollect him? And I'm, I'm asking this as I'm, I'm after a genuine response as well, because I sort of, I'm, I'm always curious how Joey is perceived it, it, today by, by everyone else, because I've, 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 heard the haters, I've heard a lot about, a lot from the hate, but at you as a long term Knights fan, you know, you, you probably weren't old enough to really specifically remember the grand or know the grand final, at, at least 2001 one. How do you, as a night, night, modern day Knights fan, perceive and um, sort of, I guess, conceptualise Andrew Johns?
1: To me, I would still say he's the greatest NRL player that ever lived?
0: Correct answer.
1: <laughs> with a caveat that now the one thing that always comes to my mind when I think of Andrew Johns and legally speaking I am going to throw a million allegedly's out there. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about reports is the Tamana stuff. Yeah. yeah. That really I don't care. It's the same with everything else. I don't care about the light. like, like All the stuff that happened with Kalen Ponga last year. I don't care about anything else that you do. As long as you are doing things that aren't harming other people.
2: Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. I don't
1: care. I think everything that happened with Kalen Ponga was massively blown out of the water and didn't need to be news. Yeah. Was it perhaps stupid what allegedly happened? Absolutely. That's the extent of it. I don't care about anything else. My issue is when there's things like the Tamana Tahu allegations that, and never taken seriously. We care yeah. more about what allegedly goes on at the Delaney than we do about things that could have allegedly caused someone a lot of harm. We
2: yeah. we actually had this conversation sort of in a roundabout way yesterday, coming back from the game, me and Carlo, um, in the fact that the Newcastle media used to be so protective of the Knights back in Andrew's day, and then and and not long after that. So when the Tahu stuff happened, and obviously you know you got a Newcastle legend. Tamana Tahu involved in it too. It was reported here, but not like it would be now. And I just wonder how, because how that would now be perceived amongst Knights fans. Would they still be so um, protective of Andrew if the the actual facts come out? Now I know, I know Tamana. I'm an Aboriginal man. I know Tamana. I know that he's forgiven Andrew. Um, and I know that he like it happened. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I wonder whether the, the, yeah, the facts were reported on fully, whether the Andrew image in Newcastle would change or it's just Andrew's Andrew and this city will love him no matter. Because well,
1: I didn't know about the stuff until I was having a conversation with a friend uh, like mid last year. Like it was re- – I missed the whole thing when it happened because the news coverage wasn't really there.
2: Mm, yeah. And like yeah, I
1: think yeah. that's the thing. I think yeah, T- of none of us will know. And if Tamana Tahu and Andrew Johns have worked it all out between them, it's not anyone else's place to get involved. Yeah. That yeah, but yeah. I do think it would have been interesting had that happened now. Yeah. And yeah, a, I, well, I think it's hard because I the developers
2: now Andrew does have a media career.
1: But I think it's interesting because I think we want to think we've come so far. And we we have in a lot of respects. But then you look at something like the coverage of Luttrell last year where he had been booed and harassed and treated awfully for weeks on end and then he scored a try and he turned around and mu- mouthed F off to the camera.
0: Which was awesome. Which was yeah. incredible. Fantastic. And
1: after everything that he'd been through, totally fair enough. Yeah. But all of the coverage still had that sort of like he was painted in that typical angry black man. Yeah.
2: And, angry I black man. and
1: I'm like, it's not, it's a lot better than it was years ago. But I look at things like that and I go, I just don't know coming up against someone like Andrew Johns.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. How much of
1: the media, and it speaks volumes about the media more than it does about fans. I don't know how much of the media, even now, would tell those stories the way they probably should have been told. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. I think at at the same time, it's an important story to tell. But if Tamana Tahu has moved on past it, good for him. I hope that it hasn't caused him long term like trauma. But I do think it'd be interesting to see how something like that would play out now. Hopefully we we never have to see and nothing awful in sport ever happens again.
2: <laughs> but- I mean, as bad as Australian sport can be, it's certainly not Spanish football. <laughs> hey um
0: we should probably talk about the, the game yesterday because okay. I, and don't and don't get me wrong i could um I, I could talk about your love of sport and your 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 backstory that led to yesterday you know all night lavender but obviously we've got other things that we need to and you know we, we've got busy days tomorrow hey yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Knights got up twenty-eight to eighteen against uh, a somewhat undermanned uh, Manly Sea Eagles at McDonald Jones Stadium uh, in in our round thirteen clash. We go into the bye round with five wins under our belt and a draw. Uh, I, I opened the floor straight up. Were was anybody really ever confident about this game yesterday? What what was your sort of feelings going into the game? Because I was I was high on us going into the Titans game. I was nervous as all get out going into yesterday's game for, for a couple of reasons. One was that we had all of our good players and two, Manly had none of their good players and three, history just says that spells disaster when it comes to the Newcastle Knights. So I was very, very nervous leading into yesterday's kickoff. It actually, I was
1: very... Oh, sorry,
0: you
2: go. Uh, Yeah, you keep going, off, you go.
1: I was very confident because I always go in. I did message about... Oh, just before the Corey stuff happened in the Souths game, I messaged my footy tipping group chat and said, it's been nice knowing you. I'm having a perfect week this week. (laughs) And I was very quickly proven wrong. But I went into this game being like, absolutely, we are winning it. And then about five minutes in, I was like, oh, my God, we're going to lose. And what an embarrassing loss at home to this manly team.
2: Yeah. And, and then actually, got- they played out the exact opposite the way I thought it would. So going into the game, and I, and I, and I said this during the game yesterday to, to, to Carlo, mainly every year when they're without the origin players or have a miracle win. They did it last year against Canberra. Canberra had all the ball at home, mainly were in the game, and they just scrapped out two dodgy tries and won the game. And I thought coming into this game, one of two things would happen. We would either be playing well and click and we'll win comfortably, or we'll hand the game to Miley and they'll gleefully take it. And in the first half, that's exactly how it looked like it was going to play out.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's it, – it, it wasn't looking – it was looking like they were going to just absolutely take us for a ride. But I do mm. want to say, I want to know what the hell is going on, that Bradman Best always – like, if we <laughs> –
2: if
1: we scored even half the amount of tries that that man has come close to this year, we would be winning the competition.
0: So we we were saying well, after a, we were saying after his first put the man needs to move over to NFL because he'd make a great running back and you don't need to worry about putting the ball down. You just got to get into the end zone because Brady can smell the try line. He knows how to get there. But you just get the impression with him that early on in his career, or, or Brett, I'll, I'll, I won't step on your to- toes too much. You sort of um, got the um, got the good theory on it, but you do get the feeling that scoring, like putting the ball now, has gotten into his head a little bit.
2: Yeah, so I, I think because he was he was like this tremendous athlete from four years old. So as a young young kid, he must have been scoring ten tries a week. So he's so putting the ball over the line has never been an issue for him. The issue for Bradman is until probably he was 15, 16 years old, when he was in the end goal, no one was touching him because they're all 15 metres behind him trying to catch up. (laughs) So he he never actually had this situation where he has people hanging on to him while he's trying to put it down. And you're right, it's got into his head now where he had a couple taken off him that, that should have been tries. I think he really tucks the ball tight so that doesn't happen. But then that sort of means he stands upright. And teams now just put their arms on the ball, knowing that once he hits the ground, they're underneath him.
1: Yeah, I do think it's interesting though. I just remembered because Manly were the team that we had that draw against. What? That, yeah, that was- yeah.
2: The Brad- yeah. The Bradman won against Manly the first time. Costs the game. He's
1: been robbed of tries yeah. in most of our Correct. games. Yeah. Manly. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's something in that. I'm 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 not a conspiracy theorist. No, we are. Can... Oh, you're a,
2: you're a Liverpool fan, of course you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, um, f- thirteen minutes into
0: the game. I mean, I don't think we'd been we hadn't been playing particularly badly before the intercept try, but from where we were sort of sitting in Bayfield, because um, because Lav, where we sit, like we're behind the Knights um, players bench, so we're about thirteen rows. By, so we we spent a solid majority of the game watching Jacob Sophedi just cycling away on the bike. Um, but um, so. The the view or the the feeling that we were sort of getting was that, look, we're there, we're thereabouts. The boys just aren't clicking at the moment. But it was the intercept try that you sort of thought, yeah, it's going to be one of those afternoons. Because up until that point, Manly didn't realise they looked – like, they just didn't look like they were offering much at all.
1: Are we talking about the the Garrick one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that just – it hurt it hurt me so much because that was the moment that all of the life drained out of me. And I was like, this is it. Yeah. And Nobody nobody looks more like Ruben Garrick. I reckon if you went on to chat GPT and typed in, show me what a person from Manly looks like, it's Ruben. <laughs> <Garrick. laughs> I have ever seen. Like he just looks like he, I don't even know if he's from Manly. He has more manly energy than anyone I've ever seen in my life.
2: Mm. So
1: every time I see him play, it just, I hate it. I hate him. Uh, no offense, to don't know him personally, but I hate him.
2: No, sporting is, about, like, sport is about, it, about that gut instinct. And, you, you know, you hate George you George love what you love, George you hate isn't what you hate. He George Jr. So he probably grew up on the south coast Wollongong way. So he's got that sort of same vibe.
1: See, but he doesn't give me south. Sal- he gives me, I've never left the northern beaches in my life. And I yeah, he, f- he
2: it. feels Palm Beach. He feels right up north, yeah. northern beaches.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was awful for me. And now I'm looking at the match summary, and I'm just seeing his name a hell of a lot, and it hurts me.
2: <laughs> and the funny <laughs> thing was, the the only thing, when Schuster took the intercept, I was like, well, he's not going to go far. And then, <laughs> then, then Garrick looms up and went, oh, of course he is. Of course oh. he is.
0: Can I say this though? One of the things that I think I've actually enjoyed the most—forget the Parramatta game, that one doesn't count—but in all the other games so far this season, including, including Sunday, we've we've developed this tendency to keep our head up despite things sort of going against us. And I must admit, like you, you're never confident that the Knights are going to win ever, even well, during I the walk job. In
1: every week, I don't know about you, but I walk in every week thinking that we're going to win. I put I put money on us
2: winning the <laughs> entire I I, I say your typical TikToks. I I look, watch them and laugh again. You poor, deluded young lady.
1: Genuinely, <laughs> every single season, I put a bit of money on us winning the season, and it's just my little donation to sports bet that I just go. I, I I fully believe every year. I'm like, this year it's going to happen, and I think if but I just about- believe it for long enough, it'll happen one year.
0: No, but I, see, I think that's a safe money bet, and I'll tell you why. Because if you keep doing that for fifty years. The one year when we do do it, we'll be at such long odds to do it that you'll more than make. So, let's say you did, you know, bet $10 a year every year for 50 years. One of those years, we're going to win the comp. That's probably a bit overly confident on my part. But still, we're probably going to, and we're probably going to be at such long odds that you'll make all of that money back off the one bet. So, I think that's actually probably the smartest, wisest annual investment that you can make for the rest of your life.
1: It's free financial advice. I did also, uh, <laughs> I, I did also promise uh, Bradman best the same time that I made my bet this year that if the boys win the season, beers are on me. So that, that will over drain any any winnings. <laughs> that
0: I well, the thing about it is though is that despite the Garrick try, and it did take us another sort of fifteen minutes to get, we 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 responded quick fire through firstly Greek Mashi with a beautiful sweeping play out to the left. And then Greg, uh, sorry, Bradman Best off, the, um, off the, the kickoff. But again, that was a, a length of the field effort. And I want to talk to you both about the, like, to me, those two tries sort of encapsulate where the Newcastle Knights are at at the moment, because all three tries to me, even the Garrick try, but those two try, because this is a team that's actually, when you think about it, they're, they're actually capable of scoring from anywhere on the field. like they've got the weapons at their disposal to really hurt you from anywhere. It's just about clicking it together because that Marjou try, it was just a perfectly played sort of left side sweep where yet Braddy just managed to shovel it over to Greg Marjou and nobody's stopping Greg Marjou 10 meters out from the line now. Um, But before I hand it over uh, to the floor, uh, I just want to highlight as well for Bradman Best's try, you know, the, the, the Tyson Gamble break, is what gets all the plaudits. But Bretto and I, we, we were sort of marveling at Jacob Sofides first, that first hit off from hit up from the kickoff. I've never seen him run that fast in, in, in his professional career. And he bends the line and he gets that, just that beautiful momentum for that set that ultimately results in um, Tyson Gamble targeting Cooper Johns um, to get us uh, into the lead. And and that's what we, we
2: miss. We, we don't, ever bend the line back early in sets. It's mm. so it's a thing Greg Margie was giving us this year. He's a off kicks, but our our forward sort of still can't do it on set restarts. And that you're right, that was such a good hit up with a quick play of the ball that for the entire set man, we we're backpedaling to the point where we get near the halfway, Gamble sees Cooper John's gut backpedaling and goes, Well I've got you sunshine and yeah and goes straight and, and go straight through him. It's um it's it's what a teams do let's be honest. It's what teams do to us. You know, they, mm. roll, they roll they us in the middle, they pick out someone struggling a bit in the defensive line, and they go through and score. It's, But we've got the ability to do that this year. We've got so many guys that have the ability to bust the line. But we've also now got guys that can finish the job, which so many times in the past we've made clean breaks and just spilled our uh, lollies when we're trying to get over the line.
0: It's a shame that we couldn't finish the half, though. I mean, and this was another reason then ultimately why you started to think it was going to be one of those days. You know, looking back on it now, I'm actually surprised that... Because the game felt like such a sort of fruit salad, just, you know, shit sandwich of a game. You actually forget that Manly were ineffectual in the second half. Like, they only score that sort of uh, intercept try through Saab. But, of course, because Manly finished the first half... Uh, and take the lead going into halftime, that sort of set the tone for the way the second half was going to be watched. Does that make sense? Because you sort of like we we, call, we score those quick-fire tries to get us the lead, and we worked so hard to finally get there, and you kind of felt like they threw it away, you know, in, in a few moments, and, so you know, we'd sort of wasted all of that effort um, to, to get us back into the game.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like by the time halftime came it did very much feel like we had wasted all of the effort. But then mm. when I look at it, there's no part of – when we got to halftime, I could feel it. I could feel it in my bones. I, I, I just knew that Marju had something cooking, and I yeah. could <laughs> He, I don't know what we're paying him, but we are not paying that man enough. Like
2: He's, he's, on, he's on probably 250000 which is just probably nearly the best value for money in the competition.
0: Well, do we want to do we want to discuss Greg Marshew at length? I'm yeah. sort of happy to yes. to pull up stumps there, at least on the the first half, and just to, um the Greg Marshew acquisition is going under the radar so much that it even took a Channel Nine reporter whose name we won't mention on this pod to finally sort of tweet the other day, "Oh, Greg Marju, good pickup by the Knights." Like no one's and and granted, we're only halfway through the season. Let's let's see where the next fourteen rounds go. But what Greg Marju has delivered us to date has got to be pound for pound the best value for money um, performer in the in the NRL this season.
1: And that's what scares me because we don't keep good players. Correct. Someone's good. <laughs> and that's why as soon as I, I saw that tweet and I was like, we're going to lose him.
2: <laughs> but if we do keep them.
1: Roosters, if, we, if, we do Roosters,
2: keep, Valerie, if we do keep Spiro them.
1: Not even bigger and we're going to lose him.
2: The manager comes knocking, looking for extra money because they're not on much, and we throw a crap load of cash at them for no reason when well, we don't have to. Then the, the the performance goes downhill. That's you know that's so nice. We either lose them for nothing, or yeah, we overpay them it's to keep bad. them, and just yeah. Down the blind, Andrew John inside for Elvin. Elvin will score. Elvin will score.
0: Newcastle have won the great final. The thing about Greg this season has been because he didn't start the season. So you know we had. Um, did Greg come in for round two
2: when Dom got or dropped? Greg, when Dom yeah. got dropped, Okay, so round three. In. So yeah. he
0: came in for round yeah. three. That's right. So Heimel and um, um, hang on. When did Dom? Because Dom must. He can't have been dropped after the after the Tigers game. He must have been dropped for uh, the Dolphins game. After the Dolphins game, anyway. Because my Greg didn't start the season for us. And Adam O'Brien was very clear about that. He says, look, we brought Greg in to do a job, but we didn't want to throw him in when he wasn't ready. And certainly there were some defensive areas that we wanted him to get right before we threw him into first grade. And I mean, we sort of because we were discussing this a bit loud in the stands where we were sort of we're like, we're not, we're not giving the ball much to Greg to sort of run it out of the 20. Minutes. But but I'm like, because of that frailty that we're all aware of with his hands, you kind of don't want to overplay that too much because I guess what I'm saying is you don't want to give him too much opportunity to fuck it up. And I and that sounds very harsh, but you're sort of like, let's not let's not give you twenty opportunities to run the ball out where you'll probably drop it two or three times. Let's just give you that eight to ten opportunities where you know we get where we know we're gonna get solid solid hit ups out of you and then we can you know, we can deal with the rest after that. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I feel like it's like we're we're keeping him in it's like break glass in case of emergency. It's like yeah. we've got to- and when we need him he can score two tries in two minutes and absolutely nail it and have neither of them converted (laughs) but it's like we have him when we need him but we're not gonna and I'm happy to do that I'm more than happy to have him be our secret weapon that nobody knows about because I'm Mm. worried that we're gonna lose him
2: yeah, the the thing is, as his confidence has increased the last few weeks, we have used him more. You know, because he's he's he, and we've talked about it in our little um groups. You know, he's as good a kick returner as Brian Taito, but he's not. You know, he hasn't got the hands and the and the safe attributes of Taito, but he can he can run the ball back and bust tackles as good as Brian can. But we never, you're right, we never used that because we were never confident that he wouldn't drop it two or three times doing that. But I think over the last few weeks, as he's scoring tries and the confidence has raised. We've now we now giving those opportunities, and I said and yesterday was really noticeable that he was really keen to get in and have a second and third tackle hit up, which obviously has come from the coaching staff because he was going out of his weight to get into position for those hit ups, which is ideal. That's you know your big fast winger on that third tackle is a great hit up because generally you've sort of got the defense backpedaling by that stage, but. If we can keep that going and but not overuse him because if we overuse him, he makes a few errors, the confidence goes down, we're back to square one. But if we just keep letting that confidence build as the season goes on by next year, you know, we could be really cooking with something.
1: I do, I think that's the thing, I think we've got to keep his confidence because as much as I love Knights fans,
2: oh. there,
1: there are a lot of them that love yeah. to throw, like, yeah. What's hurting Kalen Ponga's head more—the head knocks or being told that he's not worth his salary? That's the question.
0: It's funny you should. Yeah, it's actually funny you should mention Kalen Lav for for a couple of reasons. One is that I've actually realised this is probably the the latest not only into one of our podcast episodes but certainly into and our analysis of a game. We haven't spoken about Kalen, and I I actually think that's a good thing. Like I think that's uh, that's. Uh, can I say this about Andrew Johns? You know, the criticism of the Knights 20 years ago was always that we were a one-man team, that Joey did everything. And yet we've come full circle 20 years later where the criticism is that our best player doesn't do everything. So I think it's a good thing that we haven't spoken about Kalen that much. But I mean, you know, he's he's our our highest paid player. He's our, our highest profile star. Lav, Bretto and I were having an interesting conversation with one of our Bay 53 brethren um, before kickoff on um, on Sunday. I don't think – I think he's always going to be tarnished. I don't think there's anything Kalen's going to – I don't even think winning premierships, winning Dally m medals is ever going to change the perception of him that seems to be set in. And the perception of him that's set in now is always going to be that he's uh, just a, uh, an opportunist. He's just I, in it for the money.
1: I think it's really interesting. I think he has popped – when I look at what he's done, in the grand scheme of rugby league players, he has not like he does not deserve the bad rap that he gets. I think everyone clings to the few like one head knocks sucks. but like not like there's not a hell of a lot. At some point, I go, does he just have a magnet in his head? because somehow it just <laughs> and it pains me because I'm like, he, there's nothing he can do. It just it's just bad. Like I would love to see the stats of how many minutes he plays without getting knocked in the head versus yeah. other players because it surely has to be totally higher than everyone else's chances of getting hit in the head at this point. But I think I think his biggest downfall is I don't think he should have been club captain. And that's not to say I don't like him, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's that whole thing where it's like the higher up you go in your career, you kind of get forced into management roles.
0: <laughs>
1: being a manager and being – like with journalism, you work up the ranks, you become an editor. But being an editor and being a reporter are two very different jobs. But everyone gets forced into being an editor just because it's the only path upwards. And I think that's what's happened with Kalen. I think he's a gun player. I think he's been forced into captaincy. When he wasn't really ready for it, I don't think he really wanted it. And now he's being held to this high standard that everyone expects him to be the, he's the captain of the club. And I think now, especially with everything that is going on with him, I think it's putting all this pressure on him being the captain and the highest paid player that he just doesn't need. I think if he could sort of take that backseat, and not have all that pressure on him, maybe he could recover and he could be a part of the team without being constantly ripped to shreds in the media, by fans, by everyone, for every – I wouldn't even – I don't even want to say wrong step. Like, I look at all of the stuff that he gets pulled up for, and I don't really think in the grand scheme of NRL he's fucked up that badly.
0: Yeah, he's that's what I think.
1: held under a microscope. When in reality, he's a what twenty-five-year-old man that lives in Newcastle.
2: The the thing Not- that shows that perfectly, but, is the fact that his family loving him and wanting him to get everything he can get, is it, held against him.
1: And I do, I do wonder. Like I look, and I've heard a lot of stories, and I don't want to speak out of line because I don't know his dad. I haven't seen his contract. I don't know any of that. But I have heard a lot of stories that people get fed up with his dad really fighting for what he thinks he deserves.
2: Because yeah. the, the the problem the problem with Kalen is his dad is his manager, so which is a terrible just, idea. You know, that's right, and that's that's the problem. People don't people see oh he's his dad causing these troubles. If if that was just his manager doing those things, they would go well. That's the manager's job. That's the problem. The problem is that his dad should not be his manager.
1: There's not enough degrees of separate, And that's the interesting thing because you look at everything that's happened happening with Brad and Best at the moment and everyone goes, oh, it's just his, his manager's disgruntled and it's all this manager bullshit. But it's not – it doesn't cast a bad light on him. But because Kalen happens to share a last name with his manager, it's all intertwined. And I do think there have been instances like the statement that was made with everything that happened last year, had that statement not been made, I don't think that would have been blown out of proportion as much as it was. I think the statement actually made it a lot worse because Mm -hmm. everyone obviously thought the statement was outlandish and ridiculous. And then that gained all this media attention. But I don't think any of this is a reflection on Kalen. And I think now he's just held under a microscope where it's every, and it must be really hard for him, like one, the head knocks, but then every single time there is a head knock, Everyone talks about it. like, And it pulls all this yeah. from him. And then everyone wants to say that he's attention hungry. But I don't know how much he is versus being the highest paid player, being the captain, and then being so injury prone. He has a bigger spotlight on him than the club does. And I don't think he can really control that at this point. Everyone no. wants to talk about him every time. Like, think of how many times in that game people were talking of him – having a head knock oh HIA no HIA HIA no HIA is he going to be sent off oh his head it's bad and it's all about him and I don't think he necessarily wants that again I don't know him personally I can't speak to him as a person but it doesn't necessarily seem like he's this fame hungry guy that everyone paints him out to be as much as everybody else is hungry for him to be famous and I don't think that necessarily is helping him And now he's just sort of going like, and that statement that came out yesterday, where he was like, "I've just got to play footy. Like, I didn't make the team because of injury and whatnot. Like for Origin, I've just got to play more footy." And the way that got twisted into like, "Oh, he's just desperate for that Origin contract." No, he's just trying. Like, he's had a shit season, not because of any fault of his own. He's been all around the world dealing with his head. He just wants to play footy. And the way Mm. that statement got roped into somehow being this big negative thing is mind-blowing to me.
0: It's funny with because I, I, I just want to sort of backtrack or track back a little, little bit to what you were saying about the captaincy thing. It's actually quite funny that you mentioned that because – for me, what's happened with Kalen under the captaincy is everything I thought was going to happen with Andrew Johns when he was given the captaincy. So hindsight is always 2020 with these things. But people forget what a controversial move it was to make Andrew Johns captain of the Newcastle Knights in 2001 when Tony Butterfield retired. And all of the reasons that everyone at the time pointed out why it was a bad idea to make Andrew Johns captain it's almost come to fruition a little bit with with Kalen in terms of, well, yeah, it did add that extra pressure to pressure to him that he didn't really need. You know, maybe it did start to detract a little bit from his game and it's probably made it harder for him to perform at his best um, because it's, it's just created that extra pressure on him to be a type of player that maybe he just doesn't need to be at the moment.
1: And I just don't think, and I would be happy for Kalen Ponga to correct me if I'm wrong, I think Kalen Ponger come on the show
0: and correct her, uh, for Kalen.
1: I think Kalen Ponga could be if he can stop getting concussed every second week.
0: Mm.
1: I think Kalen Ponga could be one of the greats of the game. He's a really good player, but I don't think he needs to. I don't think his legacy needs to be that he's the captain. Yeah. If he just focused on being like, there are some people like Cam Murray. Cam Murray bleeds captain energy. That man was destined to be the captain. And he does a damn good job of it. And and
2: Latrell, and Latrell's the opposite. And that's right. Latrell doesn't have that energy. That's the Cam Murray energy. I agree there. Yeah, hey, whereas
1: Latrell is going to go down in Rabbitohs history as being yeah. an absolute gun player. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't need to be captain. Yeah. And they're yeah. different skills. And I feel like the Rabidos do it really well, where Cam Murray got captain really quite young, but he has that captain energy. There are only a few people in each team that have that energy. And I think that's the thing, even when you look at the Jack de Bellen stuff, where you look at their leadership group and you go, granted, the Dragons don't have a hell of a lot to work with, but there are a few people that embody what a captain should be. And when you get it right, it works. You look at the Rabbitohs, and I think the Rabbitohs have absolutely nailed it, and it mm. works. It works week in, week out. They have their system. They have their senior leadership team they know what they're doing because all of those people are not just the best and highest play- paid players. They are the people that best embody what it takes to be a leader. And I think that really benefits them and is why they are so consistent and why they have such a good club culture.
2: The the pushback I will give is that the Knights try to do that with Jade Braley. So when Brails and Kalen were given joint captaincy, the idea was – that Brails was going to be the captain because he's your Ken Murray. He's your your worker. He's your guy that the the, the team will follow. And Kalen is not that. The problem for the Knights have been the fact that they've had no one else. There's no one else in that team, to me, screams captain other than Brails. And Brails has missed basically two full seasons in the last three years. So Kalen sort of still then had to be given the job, when I don't think the club actually want him to be the on-field captain. They they want Jaden Braley to be the captain, but Braley hasn't played. And to me, the problem has been that no one else in that squad has stepped up and said, look, I can be the captain. They've they've tried Daniel Safidi, and he's a great forward leader, but he's not a team leader. Yeah. You've got Jackson Hastings now who, to me, is too new to the club. You can't give a guy to the captain you know, at that stage of your thing. I, I just think that there's been a real... Earth in, in the club of leaders, and it's gotten to the point where it's just gone to Kalen because Kalen's Kalen, and you're yeah. right that that's not the right reason, but that's just how it's played out. So I think that, 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 that yeah,
1: necessity. yeah, Which I, you do, know. I agree. I think Jackson Hastings has huge leadership potential if he sticks around, like his you can't give it to him this early, but I do think he has that real leadership potential,
0: yeah. With the him. only other
1: name I, yeah, sorry,
0: love. I was going to say the only other name I'd throw in the mix is Tyson Frizzell because he has captains um the the team but I think I think the area with him is like you know this is only his third season with the club they don't know we still don't know where he's going to be next year so there's even those outside sort of complicating factors in they're, terms they're of trying to
2: they're, they're trying to find long term they're trying to find a guy in the yeah. year he, you yeah. know that that's that's where they're at they want their cam Murray and and Frieza, and I think freezer is probably the best leader at the club at the moment but he's yeah, you're right he, he might not even be here next year
1: and I think that's the thing is I think we're looking for our Cam Murray. And I love I love our team. I'm not sure we have a Cam Murray.
0: Yeah, we don't have a Cam Murray. And, like, there are other
2: we, – people- We do, we do, but he's not ready yet. Okay. Matt, Cro- Matt Croker. Matt Croker.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if I would put him – Matt the-
2: the- Croker's been captain of, it, of that club in every grade he's played and been player of the year as captain.
1: Yeah, I, I, I see it. But I still don't know if I'd put him in –
2: He's not there yet. He's, he's, oh, he's yeah, not yet. No, he's three not. he's three years away. He's three years yeah. away. But he to me, to me, the the the, the choice was Sioni three or four years ago. Sioni was going to be the captain for ten years, and then we've had no one. And I think the next one of that uh, ilk is Matt Kroger.
1: Yeah, no, I agree there.
2: Let's look at the second half of yesterday's game
0: because um, we've still got a lot of action that we sort of need to talk about there. And like I said, we're 14,10 down at half time. Uh, we come back from the we come back from the break and um, it was just Marju time in those opening uh, 10 minutes. He um he scores, yeah, he scores off the sort of Kalen Ponger bucket pass where it sort of looked a little bit like Jason Saab might have gotten his hands uh, on the ball. And then again, that left side raid where um, Lachlan Fitzgibbon throws the mother of all forward passes for the try assist to um, Greg Marshu to um, uh, complete his hat trick. Um, Bretta, you've been saying it all season, though the Knights are a second half team, and that was always the confidence that you had. Because because uh, I was saying to you at halftime, I-, I think we're forty minutes away from our season being over. Like I was, I was really down <laughs> on the team. But you were very confident going into that second half. You said, "No, we are we are a second half team this season. We 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 always play a very reserved um, or a conservative first half because it's like we're trying to keep something in reserves for to really come out with a bang in the second half."
2: Yeah. So I think our big advantage is that our. We don't lose much when our bench comes on in terms of the middle forwards. So we mm-hmm. have the so we have the ability that if we can hold the opposition's best forwards early and get into that halftime break. That coming out in the first part of the second half when the benches are playing, we can really put the foot down and we've done it at home. You know, we blew the Warriors away at home, we blew the Canberra away at home, blew the Titans away at home, all straight after halftime because we don't lose anything in the middle in those periods, so I think the game plan is very clearly this year that if we can get in half time a try either way, we can really, really put the foot on the throat early in the second half. And I, and I was confident we'd do that. I was my, my issue was that merely a, a real scrappy team could they you know, could they keep frustrating us? But I I knew once we we sort of got the first one, we would get several. Lav,
0: you you because you mentioned before about the kicking. Um, I mean, Jackson Hastings finished with two out of six in the end. Uh, funnily enough, one of the only conversions he ended up uh, getting was, uh, I think, from the sideline for Bradman Best's try in the first half. Um uh, do you think Kalen Ponger is the answer there in terms of Because uh, I maintain Kalen is one of the sweetest strikers of the ball when he had the kicking duties. I think he still averages something like a a 70 to 75% career conversion rate. Should we take the captaincy off Kalen and give him the kicking boots?
1: <laughs> Maybe. I like I don't know. There were a few there where I was just like, what the hell is Hastings doing? Particularly those two back to back when we have two Greg Marju tries in 2 minutes and neither mm. can be converted you sort of go
2: from the same spot you mm. you've, you've got to at least get the second one day yeah
1: yeah and like thankfully he did come back with that phoenix crossland like in like the 67th minute
0: yeah which none of us were confident with just because
2: <laughs> we what 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 people probably don't know is that our reserve grade goal kicker missed from in front of the post and next to the post. <laughs> so that, that's yeah, the kick to right. the club. Yeah. Um, I think
1: this thing, I think we need we need to be a team that are really good at scoring tries because we can't kick to say Absolutely that. Not. And it's
2: also it's also a bit because we don't score through the middle. Well our wingers score our tries. So we we yeah. score we score on the touchline eighty eighty to ninety percent of our tries, which when you haven't got a great goal kicker is not ideal.
0: I, got, I want to talk to you both about a couple of the more contentious tries slash no tries. So Lav, I'll go to you first. The Lachlan Fitzgibbon double movement in the first half. Try, no try. Oh, you can be controversial. This is a safe space.
1: I don't know. I feel like I'm just really – I'm of the belief that, like, if you can get it over the line, it should just be a try.
2: I, I, I'm with you. Unless it's a, a really ridiculous arm lift, I think it should just be a try.
1: Oh, so, honestly, uh, my My hot take is even arm lift. If you
2: can- Oh hello. See so, so the, the problem with the problem with that was you're getting too close to rugby then. And it got to the point where guys were like were army crawling over the line.
0: So I think the answer is sort of somewhere in between because I I'm probably one of the few people in Newcastle that legitimately thought the Lockie Fitzgibbon try was it was a no try, and the simple fact of the matter is is that you know we as fans ask for consistency and we complain until we're blue in the face you know particularly when it comes to obstruction or you know just be consistent just do the same thing every time and they have been fairly consistent with the idea that once the ball carrying arm touches the ground that's it you're not allowed to move it. But, of course, even that isn't good enough for me because as, as as comfortable as I was with that decision, I'm then reminded of the Taruva try for the Panthers against the Broncos, and that was way more of a double movement than anything Lockie did. And, of course, Brett, because you explained that you were discussing it at the game, you sort of said the the thing about what Lockie does with his arm is that he's actually not moving it. It's just natural motion of that body. Like this is It's actually potentially a guy who's had, he's had injury. He's probably actually just trying to protect his shoulder and you can tell he's sort of like he realizes the arm is up in the air and he almost tries to drag it back down again so that it's not a double movement. And then I just unfortunately he touches the try line. So I'd even convinced myself to be comfortable with it to be a no try before I remembered that this fucking game refuses to be consistent. I was like, well, hang on. If the Teruva try was good enough to be a try, why the fuck can't Lockheed have his try?
1: I feel like that's the thing though. I feel like I, this is where you've lost me because I don't want consistency. I want it to be one rule for everyone else and a different. You
0: want rule. chaos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, don't, I just look at, I think my stance on the like the extra movement thing is like there's very clearly a, I feel like once you hit the ground, it should be like in netball. One foot has to stay on the ground. You can move the other one as far as you possibly (laughs) hit the
2: ground. Teams will be recruiting basketball players. As
1: long as you're sort of, as long as like one limb is where you hit the ground, oh, you should be able to. If you, I,
2: I am here for it. I am here for it. Like I'm wild.
1: that is the genetic advantage of being a Campbell Graham. If you're eight feet tall and you can stretch that arm halfway down the field. Good for you.
2: Campbell Graham Good and Sean Lane. Great. Campbell Campbell Graham and Sean Lane will we will be worth a million dollars under those rules?
1: And we well, should well, be. This is why I should be. I should take Peter Melanes' job.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Oh, we we, we oh,
2: don't deny that. We don't, that. We don't but, deny.
0: Yeah, that. Yeah, don't worry. You've got you've got very very loud supporters here. Look, okay. If the if we can't find consensus on the Lockie Fitzgibbon try, well, what about the Phoenix Crossland try? Try or no try. Correctly called? Incorrectly called?
1: The one where he saved the day. Yeah. Um, Oh, if it was anyone else, I'd say no try. But? But because it's us, of course it's a try. And it's a day. It is a try.
2: So yeah, now uh, on the on the day I called it as being correctly ruled as a try because the ball was stolen. Now I mm-hmm. watched it again today, and yeah, the ball is stolen, but Heather does actually knock it on after that. It bobbles around it, like before, this before soap, he before yeah. he pulls it back. It should have been no try. Yeah,
0: I um I was sort of comfortable, so I I went the opposite way to you, brother. So once. I thought the bobble was a, but once I saw, it, I like, no, it's a stripping action, and it clearly goes paddled backwards. I was comfortable for it to be a try, and you know, credit to Phoenix Crossland as well. You know, to have that game awareness. You know, one of the things that we actually are too critical of um, Phoenix, and we've we've been sort of discussing this a little bit today, is that, um, you know, for starters, he's a halfback playing in a hooker's role, and and that's just you know, that's just not it. Unless you're Andrew Johns, it's not the or Ben Hunt. It's not the easiest thing to do. But we've always been critical of uh, Phoenix for not having that game awareness to really know what to do in the moment. And he handled that moment perfectly. You know, anybody else fumbles the ball or drops it or fucks it up, and he had the awareness about it to so actually just grasp the ball cleanly and put it down and claim the try. So I was sort of happy to give that one to Phoenix because, um, you know, he's doing a good job for us, and he's doing it tough at the moment in terms of playing continually playing out of position. And um, I was happy to see him get some reward for that.
2: Yeah, it's always, it's always good when a guy like that has their moment. And, and what we all love about Phoenix, you know, he, he's, he's very polarizing. But there's nothing Phoenix wants more than playing a Sunday afternoon at McDonald Jones Stadium. So it's great to see him get those moments.
0: Can I ask you both? And I've sort of skipped over it, unfortunately. I've I've lost the sequence a bit. But you know, when we did score the two Margee tries, and we were rating that left edge like there was no tomorrow. Like I reckon we could have scored 60, 70 points down that left edge, um, uh, down that left edge if we were really on song. But we are still a team that is just capable of playing dumb, dumb, dumb footy. And the intercept try by Jason Saab was infuriating for a couple of reasons. One, you know that Jason Saab is always going to be there on the lookout for it. But two, it was a pass that didn't have to, like, we didn't have to throw the cutout pass. We had the numbers, you know, we just had to go through the hands. And there's almost a moment where you feel like Kalen Ponga watches the ball go past him going, oh, fuck, because he knows what's about to happen.
2: Yeah, that that to me, and I I've no doubt the coaching staff would have highlighted during the week that you can score on Saab's wing going through the hands because he will always come looking for the intercept because he's ten feet tall and because he's fast, but he also has <laughs> but he also has no idea or any interest in defending like he he doesn't want to get dirty, so so you just go through the hands and score easily. And you're right when um, Hastings cut out KP with the with the Harbour Bridge pass, KP threw his head back in. Oh shit, this here is... <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, trem- we highlighted it on Twitter though Tremendous effort from Dom Young again To run from the other side of the field Remembering that Jason Saab is a is a motor He's one of the fastest men in rugby league And Dom Young And I thought this was an important play by Dom Because he doesn't give up To make sure that he still makes the kick by Garrick As difficult as it possibly can be Now I, I think Ruben Garrick had a brain fade When he was kicking for goal anyway But They didn't give it away to the extent that it wasn't under the post. It still made it difficult. And once we, because once we took the lead in the second half, we never relinquished that lead again. We kept it until the end of the game. And so I thought that was a huge defensive play from Dom to, yes, you know, every winger is supposed to do that, chase it down. But a lot of them just give up after they get to halfway and they just sort of go through the motions. And And Dom chased that down to the try line to make the conversion as difficult as he possibly could.
1: I, I think he's one of those people that I just – it pains me so much that we're losing him.
0: Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Like, I just – I think we need – like, I don't know how we're going to fill that void. I think if, really
2: if there was, If there was ever a Newcastle Knights player, it's Dom Young. His highs are so high and his lows are so low. He's just <laughs> a Knights <laughs> through and through.
1: That's very true.
2: <laughs> let's
0: finish – look, let's finish the game then on the Dom – try at the end, because it's funny what you say there, Bretto, about his highs being high and his lows being low, because in a lot of ways that try encapsulates the Dom Young experience because it's so close to disaster and yet he almost attains perfection. So, because I'll let you sort of describe, you just you describe a lot of things on the footy field better than I do. But if you actually watch the play it's one of the more amateur things that you'll see a winger do given the game, given those circumstances, but because he's a superstar, he actually makes it look like it's this incredible high percentage play to get the game ceiling try.
2: Yeah. So that's right in front of us. Like where we see Bay 53, that's literally right in front of us. So Dom does, I think, I guarantee you every rugby league coach in Australia, nearly three <laughs> something through their TV. When they see a winger trying to run around players on a dewy night, on the touchline, you are leading by a six in your own 20. Now, I'll give Dom the credit of that the guy, first guy he ran around was Kepi. So he'd seen a middle forward there, and well, I can run around you, which any and he was right, but he only just got around him. If Kepi knocks him off balance, he's in touch, and you know, we're probably in trouble in the game. But from then on, it's just Dom Garnwell. I'm this speed machine that no one's gonna get a hand on. And Garrick, who's really fast himself. Couldn't, couldn't match it with him and he made the full fullback look foolish. It's it's one of those things where it's what you love about rugby league because it, it was millimetres from disaster. And then once you sort of draw breath and realise he's in space, it's the greatest moment you've seen in the last 20 years. You know, it's it was, it was just, it, it just encapsulates how we play rugby league. We do so many dumb things, but sometimes when they come off, it's just magic.
1: And I, I think, I think that no sentence has ever summed up the Knights as well as we do so many dumb things, but sometimes (laughs) it plays off. It's (laughs) magic.
2: I tell you what, Andrew Johns down the blind side in 97 was dumb. Oh, there was was no need. There was no need to go in the blind side. And it's one of the greatest moments in the history of the sport. Like it's just so the Knights.
1: I think that's what we're destined to always be is just a whole bunch of really dumb shit that, Every twenty or so years,
2: can I can I give a shout out? Fucking Newy. that's 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 it. That is fucking Newy. We that do is. the dumbest <laughs> shit ever, and it's amazingly fantastic. Sometimes,
0: look, you can say what you like about the new about Newcastle, not just the Newcastle. unless you can say what you like about Newcastle, but the thing about anything Newcastle is that it's always exciting. Oh. Hey, I want to sign off on the game just on one last play that was highlighted by um. Uh, at sky l h seven, one of our um one of our uh, very, very, you know close uh, listeners of the pod. And she actually highlighted as much as Dom's try was the game sealer, Matt Croker's hit on uh, I think it was Jacob Jake, Jake Arthur. Arthur Jake Arthur. that was that was the 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 cream. That was just the cream on top that really sealed that game because, you know, 28 to 18. Okay, the game's probably over. But it's like we said against the um, the Titans, a 20 point win is far more satisfying than a six point win. And it was the same thing here with Banley. You know, the, a um, a 10 point win over your arch rivals, where we've outscored them six tries to three, is far more satisfying than a you know a 28 to 24 win. That didn't really probably might not have reflected the game. And the way Croaks just absolutely annihilates Arthur at the end there to close it out and um just put that cherry on top, as it were. Great hit by the young man, by the young captain
2: in waiting.
1: <laughs> and, 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 the, and that's the, why the, he will be the captain one day.
2: The great the great thing about that that hit was, um the technique that's what i love yeah. it's not just you know we see so many big kids where a guy just launches his body into an, and gets him flush it was all technique it was bend bend the back eyes up shoulder driven lifting him off the ground planting him in you know it's just perfect hey can i ask you both the teletow um cooler
0: um sin bin well here's another one did they get that right or not because i oh. I didn't think it was a sin bin, yeah, and I'm—we uh, are one of the most protective. Well, we are probably the most protective podcasts on the. Because this is what's easy to forget: Kalen got hit in the head three times on Sunday. Whatever you think about the HIAS, whatever you think about, you know whether he's like. At the end of the day, one of the biggest criticisms of Kalen Ponga has always been that he's not a tough player. This is a guy with a with a very public history of um, head problems, got hit in the head three times on Sunday, and he played 80 minutes. Now, whether you think that's smart, whether you think that's stupid, whether you think that's dangerous, you can't, you just can't criticise this kid's toughness because whatever the effects are that he was, he kept getting up and he kept getting uh, cleared to play. Um, But, uh, you know, as, as far, the funny thing was I thought the Jason Saab hit on his first hit up of the game, I thought that was more of a, Sin bin than anything uh, Cooler did to, to KP. I thought that was just unfortunate.
1: I think the problem with Cooler is that it was very much. It feels like that Sin bin was more looking at the impact it had on Ponga rather yeah. than the yeah,
2: act yeah, itself. Yeah. And yeah, you're right.
1: realistically, like if I were him, I would be arguing that had he not had. Ten hits to the head previously that game. It may not have been he made it not have and it was a a, a hard hit it was definitely the hardest hit of the game. Mm. but ha, I don't know if it would have been like that had he not been knocked around a fair bit already.
2: Mm. No, so, I agree. It, it, it's 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 interesting with uh... They look at it so closely if it's not Kalen. Now, the fact that it's Kalen going down means that the TV replay happens 45 times because it's Kalen. It'd be interesting to see, you know, any other player without without it being the Kalen profile, yeah, whether that even gets picked up.
1: And I'm glad that they are taking it seriously and we're putting so much attention. I would rather it be the Kalen Ponger head knock hour where we watch nothing but replays of him getting hit in the head than us to just not talk about it at all. And it. Yeah, right. Seriously. Yep. But I do think it's one of those things that had that been any other player, I'm not sure it would have been it would have been a sin bin. It
2: was, it was it was a penalty. It wasn't a sin bin. He 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 his shoulder basically got him in the shoulder and slightly brushed up under his jaw. It was a penalty at at most. Yeah. Hey guys, we're so
0: we're thirteen rounds into the season now. Um we're sitting on five wins, one draw, six losses. Um so we've no hang on
2: 12 rounds 13 rounds, yeah, yeah, and a bye five, five six. Yeah,
0: and oh, one sorry, and a bye. yeah, sorry, yeah, that. Up, oh, yeah. I, had, I had a newy moment, I, I, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't count. Look, we're, we're sitting on five wins and one draw. Laugh, we've sort of said that we think 12 wins is the bare minimum to get into the finals this year. I mean, that that's that's not rocket science, that's fairly consistent historically, but. We've got that we've got that draw as well. So we think twelve wins and a draw gets us into the top eight this year. Um, five wins, so we probably need seven more wins. Seven wins out of our next twelve games. Do you think that this men's team has that in them? Do, do you do you see where we've got seven more wins in us? Uh, ideally, you know, we get four wins at home and we can jag three away from home. Do you think this is a team that's got seven more wins in it this season?
1: Do I think or do I hope?
0: Either or, I can I mean, go with both.
1: In my head, in my head, we're still gonna win the season. Um, oh, I just, I think the problem this season in particular is how wildly inconsistent we've been.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah.
1: I think some of the best minutes of footy that we've played this season have been when we've not had KP. And we had and it was like that period. So I just think it could go so many different ways. Like I think we definitely have it in us to win seven more games, but I think there's a difference between having it in us and do I think we actually will.
2: This, this origin period is really interesting for us because we have we have tough games. We're away at Melbourne, away at Penrith, oh, sorry, at home at Melbourne, away at Penrith, away at Brisbane, in, in that origin period when you, you know when those top sides are vulnerable. If we can pluck two wins in the next six weeks out of those games, our run home is fantastic. We've got teams around us on the table or lower at home over the last month of the season. Like we, We've got a really good run home,
1: And I feel like we have no excuse to be losing provided we can get through this origin period without, like, touch wood, anything happening to KP. hmm. I don't think when we've got both Gagai and Ponga and we're up against teams in origin period.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we play the the Roosters next origin round. So we'll probably without Frizz maybe again, but that's it. They'll be without – Teddy, probably, that that'll be it for them, but at home on a Sunday afternoon, we should be winning that game. You know it's the roosters, and you know we all we all expect the roosters to to be good, but they're not good the roosters. we 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 should be winning that sort of game. Yeah, the
0: problem for us, the problem for us is really like our next three are Brisbane away roosters at home, panthers away. that's a tough three weeks. And the thing is like we've just highlighted, we're on five wins, uh, one, draw uh, six losses, you know, five five wins and nine losses, that's that's hard to come back from. Like, that just becomes really hard to claw that move. And, you know, and, and I get, you know, we play um, different quality teams as the season goes on, you know, each game stands at the moment. But that pressure of, of what, going from you know, we need this win to fuck, we have to win or it's over. Like it starts to play in your mind. And yeah, I I just think the next three weeks are are really going to make or break us. I'm with you, Brett. We have to win that Roosters game. If we don't win that Roosters game, I think that really is probably season over for us.
2: I, I like our home form, but so you look at that. So we're four and two at home. We've had four really good performances at home for wins. We had the Penrith loss, which we all agree was one of our better performances in the last few years, you know? So so we're not going to say that was a bad performance. The other one was the Dolphins when we literally had half our team out after that Tigers disaster where we um, had half the team get injured. And, you mm. know, and the, I mean, the Dolphins have proved to be a good side. You know, we, we, we probably nearly win that game as well if Hastings doesn't go off late with the HIA. Um, so our home performance has been great. If we can keep winning at home, we just need to pick up two more away, I think. If we pick up two more away, then we, you know, then we're looking okay. You are listening to the Bay 53 podcast.
0: Do we want to talk a little bit about origin while we're, um, while we're talking all things footy this this week? I mean, Lav, are you – I pick up the uh, the Newcastle Knights thing sort of speaks for itself, but, you know, when it comes to all things rugby, are you all about that origin life as well or is it really Newcastle Knights and everything else for you?
1: Oh, yeah, no. I Origin becomes my entire personality. But. Excellent. Months Excellent.
0: All right. Uh, men's game on Wednesday. Who have you Who have you got? Blues or Maroons
2: and why?
1: Oh. First squad that was named? Blues.
2: Tra- trail out changes it, doesn't it? Trail yeah. out today, that changes it.
1: And then fucking Nathan Cleary with a, a tooth oh. infection.
2: you has got a toothache. It's, it's such a Queensland thing. Are you sure he's not a Queensland?
1: Yeah. I tried, tried to to the door and slam the door. Yeah. Like, I just, <laughs> like a tooth infection, I just go go to the fucking dentist. Yeah,
0: that's one of the Why weirder ones. I must admit. And
1: rip it out. Is that how? To, yeah. I feel like that's how tooth infections work, isn't it?
2: But yeah, um, absolutely. But, but but Nathan's all about that sweet TikTok life. You're a TikToker. Will will the tooth out affect TikTok ability?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I feel like he would be fine. And my point being. Do it. It is your duty. You need to serve your state. This is what's Correct. that thing that Queensland have on the back of their shirts? That's like you have a duty to. It's some like weird. Yeah. It, it's giving like conscription vibes. I, I hate it. It's so like you have Hang on, been. I don't know this on the back of the Queensland shirt. It says something like uh, you have a, a duty to your state. Yeah, you're,
2: you're you're born to do something for your state or something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it uses the word duty, and it's yeah, just right. giving me massive, like...
2: Yeah, it's good Queensland vibes. It's exactly what we, it is.
1: Are we, like, doing conscription for Rugby League? Because that's what it feels like. I don't like it. But I don't know. I'm still absolutely rooting for us, but I think no Trell and potentially no Cleary. We've had the Payne thing, there's just been a lot of things that it's like, we've got the players that are out and then we've got the players that are likely going to end up out. I'm not hopeful. I, I, I'm hopeful, but I'm not confident.
2: I, yeah. I thought, I, I like our chances when Trell was in, because Trell just dominates them. Um, They, they, they can't match when, especially with Turbo's back to, to his best, but with Trell out, I think we're in trouble. On one thing, I think we may Payne Haas. I have a feeling, or at some stage in this series, Payne Haas is going to have the best Origin performance by a front rower ever. He'll play seventy minutes in one of these games and get two hundred metres, and may have ten or fifteen tackle breaks, and just ro- will ride him home. And I'm hoping that might be. I'm hoping it might be this game.
1: But I don't know. He's been cleared with injury. But I'm just yeah, so- his ankle,
2: he's ankle he, he's, he's but he thinks with his ankle, but he's had that ankle issue for two years now. it's a, it's an ongoing thing. So I, I think you know he just, yeah, it's just something that happens, and he just plays through it. They give it a I, needle and he.
1: My theory is, I want to know who the hell. I reckon Billy Slater's just gone around in the middle of the night and just started fighting all of the new South. Like why is everybody <laughs> out? Like Campbell Graham has like a sternum injury. It's Nathan Cleary's tooth. Like, they're mm. the most made-up-sounding injuries. Like, they're not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> for Freddie's just trying to do a Queenslander. Freddie's just trying to do Queensland on Queensland.
1: Like, I'm fully convinced that Billy Slater's just walking around throwing hands, <laughs>
2: which,
1: which makes sense because I feel like anywhere he could hit on Campbell Graham is about sternum height.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Bill, but Billy, kick him in the sternum. Billy, jump Well, I was just going to
0: say, yeah, that's where I pull, pull you up, Lab. He's not p- yeah. punching people. He's walking around kicking them. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> It's just it uh, doesn't head in that it's like, how have we ended up here? we we I was so confident this year. I was like, right, we've got so much potential. We have like a B and C team that worth of players that we can pull from that are still top tier players and then fucking everyone gets injured.
2: We all we all agree, but that origin in this period is weird thing in world sport. To me, the modern game is so physical now, I don't think that it does origin justice to have it in the middle of the season. Because it these just guys, make sense because anymore. these guys are are always battered by the time we get to round thirteen, they're all mm. battered already, you know. And you're trying to put on your showpiece event with all your best players already dragging their asses, you not know, even halfway through the season. The women it Makes Canada. no sense.
1: That's why I like the the women's Origin being like a preseason for their
2: season. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think
1: it's a really good and one for them from a marketing perspective. It's a lot easier to get people into Origin than it is to get people into like club footy and I think having that big spectacle before the season is I've got no edits I think it's perfect
2: I I had I had a suggestion that I think it's not a bad idea that we do origin after round six for two reasons the players are fresher um but also the conditions are better for good football. It's not as cold. It's not as dewy in Sydney. Well, that's the big issue. By the time we get to that Sydney game, it'll be the depths of the winter. The field's always terrible by then. If we have it in round six, you know, it's it's better conditions for the crowd. It's better conditions for good football. The players are fresher. There's a bit more daylight. It doesn't feel quite as dark and dank as, you know, eight o'clock in the middle of July. Um, Now, I think round six sort of to round 10 origin period would be ideal.
0: Brett, your pick for Adelaide Oval, Maroons or because it's a Maroon home game. So this is the thing. Yeah, this is yeah. Maroons or the Blues, and why?
2: Um, I think we'll win. Um, I and as I said, I think it's because we have the best forward on the field in Payne Haas, and I think we might ride him yeah. home.
0: Yeah, and Tommy Turbo, to come out and have a um, have a so, blinder so, in, so,
2: in I'm, I'm I'm putting my money on Turbo for a double.
0: Yeah. Because the other thing as well is that what's um, forgotten about them is that game two is at Suncor this year. So I actually think Adelaide Oval is going to ultimately be the decider because I, I just don't back the Blues to go up to Brisbane to win game two in Brisbane after a loss in Adelaide. But I think whoever wins the Adelaide game will ultimately win the series. Yeah. But I don't know yeah. who's going to win on Wednesday. Hey, can we talk about Thursday, though? Because for Newcastle Knights fans, Thursday is actually the big game. And it's always exciting when we get to talk about uh, the Knights star halfback lining up for um, New South Wales, uh, well, in the halves. So eventually, it's going to be the number seven jersey. Um, but, yeah, State of Origin, game one, uh, Combank Stadium, Thursday night. Uh, is it... Is, I feel like Jesse Southwell's had a few arrivals in NR, but is Thursday night the night Jesse Southwell truly arrives? Or is she already arrived and she's just going to confirm that she's the new queen of rugby league?
1: I think she. this is just a confirmation for her. I think yeah. she is just one of those players that I think, being so early in the NRLW, I genuinely believe she's going to be one of those players that, 20, 30, 40 years from now, she is, like, the historic – there's going to be awards named after her. She's going to be – she's going to have a statue in Newcastle. Like, she's just so good and so – like, you just can't fault her in any way. Like, I just think she's just so, so fucking good. Mm. I'm so glad that she's making her origin debut. And I might
2: cry. (laughs) Oh, I will. I will cry. There's no. I no, will definitely. We'll, yeah. yeah, yeah. There'll Can I? Can I just say it's really? I'm really disappointed that this game's at Combank. Um, the Queensland are having their game in Townsville, which is what? Well, why is the, Why is this game not in Newcastle? We'd it get, absolutely our, it should our, be our, in Newcastle. Our stadium's as big as Combank. We would get a a, a, full, a full sellout. You know, where we, the where the premiers in the NRLW, women's rugby league is huge in this area. It's probably the biggest uh, women's rugby league area in the country at the moment. Why is this game not at McDonald Jones stadium?
1: That's a really good point. It didn't really cross my mind at first, but now like it just makes sense. Because on both on both teams, like you've got like a Tamika Upton and then you obviously got um like Southwell, Millie Boyle, rest in peace, Millie Boyle's time at Newcastle. <laughs> feel, i'm still so devastated that we signed adam Elliott and we didn't even get to keep millie i, I, I can't
2: I, yeah. i've got i've got a millie premiership shirt. i can't even get down on a drawer it just breaks my heart
1: i just i feel like in my head the reason that we signed adam Elliot was to give millie a reason and i i fully respect her desire to leave not even desire i fully respect that we don't pay the women enough the Roosters offered her more money. She's obviously got all her media work in Sydney now as well. She chased yeah. money, and I fully respect her desire to do that. I don't think players should have to have any loyalty until they're getting paid what they deserve. Yep. But personally, it breaks my heart. But I do I do think we still have a strong enough team this year to win without her.
2: Oh, I, 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 I genuinely think there's three premiership contenders there in our this year. Us... Uh, Brisbane and the Roosters. I think they're the three premiership contenders.
1: Yeah, and I think the Roosters. If the Roosters win, it doesn't really count because they're just nope. posting. Everyone correct,
0: to- correct, correct.
1: Yeah, just I don't know. I think the Roosters. Everyone expects the Roosters to be so good. Like they've got an Isabel Kelly. They've now got Millie Boyle. They're a really good team. But I think
2: we're we're a better team. I I I, I if you. Time me to bet my life on us playing the Roosters in the grand final. We're a, we're a better team on paper because Jessie Southwell plays halfback and she's the best player in the world.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. And I think people don't – I think maybe after the grand final win, it'll be different. But I think because we are Newcastle
2: – Absolutely. Absolutely. I, don't, I
1: think the girls benefit from – they will always – even though they are the premiership-winning team – they're still
2: Newcastle. You, you wouldn't you yeah. wouldn't know would you if, if the Roosters if the Roosters won last year you would see those Roosters girls everywhere in the media. Yeah, you know, the the new girls are still hidden away up here. Like you know, the, Millie Millie got her role, but Millie didn't get her role. Millie got her role because she's Millie. You know, she played for Brisbane. She's you know the face of Australian Rugby League. None of the other girls have got their things. Like Jessie should be everywhere. Jessie should be have money thrown at her to be in the media. She's you know this vibrant young eighteen year old. is the best. Like rugby player either code in the country.
1: Oh, and that's I think that's the thing that I think I I have multiple issues with, and I've spoken at length uh, with a lot of people at NRL about how I think the women's game isn't marketed as well as it could be.
0: And Ooh, particularly... don't hang on, don't don't skip over that. Yeah, what what are you, are you share any insights or are you any thoughts that you can sort of give to a sort I of general just think
1: that. Le, the Jada Taylor try in – was, it wasn't even full origin. It was like the the under-20s origin or whatever it is last yep, year. Yep. That lives rent-free in my brain.
2: Yeah, Moments yep.
1: like that, like there are so many moments that I think we could be capitalizing on because the reality is people don't want women's sport shoved down their throat. As, as bad mm. as it sounds, they don't want that. So we can't share – you can't share everything in the women's game to people that blindly only follow the men's, it won't work. But there are some really, like, women's rugby league, the caliber, like, we are the best in the world. We have incredible players. And I think compared to the likes of an AFL, a lot of these girls still played touch rugby and stuff like that the whole way through. That yeah. that skill yeah. isn't there. We have really good players. And those moments, I think if you're sharing them, uh-huh. promoting them to the men, I don't understand how any man could watch a Jesse Southwell a Jada Taylor, any of those players, and not go, holy fuck, they are so good. And my yeah. thing with Castle is the, the, I think there this, should be a lot more. Sorry, go.
2: This generation of girls, the Jesse Southwells, that, that, this generation, the sort of 16 to 20 year old girls in the Anna Real W and the Tasha Gale Cup and stuff, to me, that's the first generation of female athletes that play in quotations, a traditionally men's sport where they've played that sport their whole life because the AFLW girls were all other sports, you know, and they've sort of gone to the AFLW, which is why their skills have taken a little while to catch on. And it's the same with the league girls. A lot of those girls, you know, weren't initially league players. They were touch footy players. They played different sports. They were just athletes. But this young generation of NRLW players to me is the first generation where they grew up playing rugby league and they've played rugby league you know, or rugby union their entire lives. So their skill level is at a level where it looks like the men's game. Like Jesse Southwell right foot step looks like a Carolyn Pong a left foot step, you know. It's the same thing. But you know, we, we don't see if that. I,
1: if I were mayor of Newcastle, which is still on my list of things to do, I look at Newcastle. We have not won, as a town, the city, have not won a premiership since, what, 2001? The girls yeah. won it. I, if I were running the Knights, the city of Newcastle, the media in Newcastle, anything, I would be shouting this from the fucking yeah. tops for years. The, the boys That's haven't been able to pretty- do it for fucking 20 years. The girls have gone and done it on next to no money. We've got Jesse Southwell, who's... Had to get a permit to even be able to play. Like the story is so incredible, and I but you feel- see that's
0: that's a very Newcastle Knights thing as well. Because even with the men's premierships uh, in ninety seven two thousand one, the the mock on the Knights was that they never actually really knew how to cash in on it. Like, the story was always that, you know, the Knights broke even in 97 because of T-shirt sales off the back of the grand final in the subsequent victory. And even 2001, you sort of got the impression, yeah, we had the big celebration, we had the street parade, and the, but then they sort of stopped talking about it. And it, it's almost history repeating itself again with the women's win, where we were like, you know, we had the footage of the girls arriving at the um, Newcastle X Services Club and, you know, everybody's celebrating in the hall. And then... And then nothing like that was sort of the last year. They got
2: got, their they got their parade. They got their parade in the town hall two days later. Yeah, true. And then and then it disappeared. You're right. It absolutely disappeared.
1: And I think that's the thing. I think we are failing. And then fuck, it was only like because I remember I was in Singapore the day that we won the grand final, and then the World Cup was not that long after. They then the the girls then won a World Cup. Like the way that we have not capitalized on being the best at rugby league, like women's rugby league in the world. Mm. We could be growing this sport. Like to me, there is no logical reason why the NRLW is not rivaling at least the AFLW, if not being more popular than the AFLW, because the skill (laughs) level is there where the champions of the world, there's like, and we don't even have like, I have lots of friends that don't support – that love women's sport but don't support the Rugby League women's because their club doesn't have a team yet. And there's no shortage of talent. Like, that's what I do Mm -hmm. because I know that the criticism of the AFLW is that they expanded way too quickly and there was a talent shortage. But we've been playing – like, women have been playing rugby for decades.
2: Yeah. what it's not you, a new phenomenon. You, you, you want to know what the what a big issue has been, and Volandis has got away with this. When he sold the NRLW rights as part of the like as a, just part of the men's rights, is where he went wrong. So the money that should be available to expand and make it a full, you know, a full 17-team competition doesn't exist because Volandis gave the rights away for free. So the AFLW. Sold their rights, and they they then could put that money into development and into the clubs, because because at the end of the day, the the clubs still care about their men's team the most. So because I know Penrith for a fact, Penrith went, well, we can't afford a women's team; that would cost us money out of our men's team, which is ridiculous. But you know that was their argument. The land is giving the rights away. I think has stunted the women's game by five years because we can't expand as quickly as we probably should be.
1: Because how many teams do we have we got? Ten teams now.
2: Yeah, ten. yeah.
1: Which is just like I, – and I, I don't understand how the women and so many of them are so positive in the media. Like you've got a Kennedy Charrington, you've got an Allie Brigginshaw, you've got like Millie Boyle, you've got all these people doing all of this legwork to promote the game. I don't understand how they're not all absolutely livid at how much we have just failed – Yeah. Like yeah, Kennedy, Kennedy
2: Cherrington calls that a lot. She's, she's right. If anyone doesn't follow Kennedy Cherrington on Twitter, follow her because she will give you the honest truth about the way the game's run.
1: Oh yeah. And she, she does it. But my thing is I look at it and I don't understand like, and granted when we won the rugby league, like I was in England when the rugby league world cup was on, the NRL didn't even send a social media person for the men. Yeah.
2: Ridiculous. Yeah. Really? Ridiculous. No, I was no.
1: over there. Uh, Mary, who does Ladies Who League, was over there. I know Marley Silva was over there. There were so many people that if the NRL, who I had been speaking to previously, I was already flown over there. If they'd gone, "Hey, we'll book your flight home two weeks later and pay your accommodation," I like it would have cost them nothing to get social. Like we had all this lead-up coverage, even for the men's. Yeah. And I remember it was like there was all this promo leading up. And then the day of the men's game, we didn't post on Instagram until like 36 hours after the men's first game was over.
2: Yeah, Shit. Sure. Yeah.
1: And you yeah. just look at, like, no wonder, like, I don't. I don't know anyone in Australia that really watched the Rugby League World Cup. The only reason I was invested is because I was over there and I was in Manchester at the same time that all of the Aussie boys were over there. So I sort of knew what was going on. But nobody spoke about the Rugby League World Cup. Nobody cares about the Rugby League World Cup. And I think that's another opportunity that we could have really promoted the women's game, and we just didn't. And it feels – it almost feels calculated how much we are just choosing not. And it's not necessarily the NRL. It's the media. It's everyone. We speak about how much we want women's sport to succeed in this country, and then we just – fucking do it's the same with like the FIFA World Cup that's in Australia in what 50 days that no one's talking about
2: you yeah you, you wouldn't you, you you honestly wouldn't know you would not yeah. know there's a World Cup coming up
1: yeah we've sold we're on track to sell 1.5 million tickets and I speak to people and unless you're in the inner workings of the football community you wouldn't know which is yeah, just I... ridiculous that I'm like we are going to have so many massive opportunities pass us by with women's sport that we just don't need to. And it's not even a financial thing. We could promote – we could be doing so much more for the women's game and it wouldn't cost us a cent. It's just having a little bit of a marketing strategy behind it. And we can drop the ball.
2: Call call me out if I'm wrong, Glav. You know the media landscape obviously a lot better than me. Is Has the women's game been unlucky in terms of the timing? So the the thing with with uh, rugby league coverage and sporting coverage in Australia was, you know, the commentary teams would fly around the country to all the games. It would have people on the ground at every game. Whereas now they don't even bother coming out of their studio in Sydney, you know. If it's played anywhere other than around Sydney, the, the commentary teams sit and watch it on TV like everybody else. Is the media landscape changing to the point where the big media companies are worried about their futures, so they're tightening their belts? Is that then hurting the women's game because they're not willing to invest money into, into the game?
1: I, it's definitely a lack of willingness to invest, but I don't necessarily think it's to do – like it doesn't feel like it's to do with budgets as much as I just – I've had so many people in the media – go like yeah well we've got the budget to green light a podcast about women's sport or a radio show about women's sport or this or this but they don't have the budget to conceptualize it so they're like yeah if you come to us with the idea we can make it happen but they don't there's no incentive for them and I think it's it annoys me because I look at it and I go the next 10 years I may be taking low-paying jobs to cover women's sport because I'm really passionate about it. But there's no way Mm. that the time I have kids and they grow up, there's no way that women's sport isn't a hugely profitable industry. It's it's, it's that way. And I feel like everyone is so scared to be the one to take the leap. When, if you do it well, the money's going to be, like there is such an audience for it. And it's such a marketable product. Like it's so ad friendly. There's so many ways that you can monetize it.
2: It's 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 interesting. It's interesting that um, the traditional ways of sort of monetizing it um, are sort of obviously diminishing with this in the social media age. But there's all the all the people that were around in the '60s, '70s, '80s that made television what television is. They're not in the media now, making social media what it could be. Like social media is untapped. You know, the world's never seen money should be flowing out of social media, but there doesn't seem to be the 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 want or the effort to actually monetize that.
1: And the interesting thing, I heard this. I was at an event for the launch of, I think it was the A-League Women's Finals Series, and uh, Sarah Walsh, who is an ex-Matilda, who's now, I don't want to butcher her title, but she's basically either Football Australia or FIFA's representative for the World Cup. So very high up in that. And she was talking about how the World Cup and women's football you need to actually market it differently because its financial strategy is just different in men. It's something like fans of the Matildas spend, like, I don't, I don't know the exact figure, so don't quote me, but I think it's like two and a half times more money on merchandise than fans of the Socceroos.
2: So yeah. like, oh. is, is, is that because to fans of women's soccer – the Matildas are the beacon and, and everyone follows the Matildas, whereas in the men's they have a European soccer shirt?
1: No, well, we're talking purely fan, like per capita of like adjusted for how many fans of the is and how many fans of the Matildas. Yeah, okay, right so on, each yeah. Each individual fan, the dollar amount they're spending on merch. Yeah,
2: okay, okay.
1: okay. Is much higher, which I think it's like uh, there's also like lots of uh, football clubs in like Spain and Italy where they're not particularly good football clubs but they're effectively running clothing companies. They're making all football shirts. And I think the key to women's sport, and obviously I, what the fuck do I know? I'm not a CEO of a business, but it's things like that where you go, cool, you do really, really cool merchandise, and you lean into the fact that stereotypically women are more inclined to spend money on clothing and accessories. Things yeah. like that, and you market it a bit differently, and go right. People that are fans of women's sport are less inclined to want to have gambling sponsorship and alcohol sponsorship and all of those negative sponsors. You just market it a bit differently, and you go right. Let's do twice as many variations. It's like the Knights shirt that came out. That's like if you um, get on oh, the three
0: game membership.
1: Yeah, and it's like everyone was like, "Well, I want the shirt. I don't want the ugly hat. I want the shirt." Mm. it's just doing little things like going, cool, well, let's do twice as much, the twice as many variations of women's merch than we do of men because the women are more, more likely to, like fans of the women's game are more likely to buy more merch. Let's give them more options and things like that where you just slightly change your strategy so you're actually making more money because you can't, they're different products and you just can't monetize the women's game the same way as the men. That doesn't mean that it's not a financially viable product like every man on Twitter loves to say. You've just got to do it a bit differently. And nobody wants to have that conversation. Nobody wants to innovate. And I think the people who really lead the charge on that, there's so much money to be made. You've. It's just whoever gets there first is going to be laughing the whole way to the bank.
2: The women's game seems to be the more family friendly. You know, the Matildas. You know, you get up, get up, Matildas game, and it's families. You know, it's mum and dad and three kids, boys, girls. Doesn't matter. The families go to that a lot more than the Socceroos games I've been to, anyway. Um, it, but to me, that it does It's not reflected in the way the game is marketed, you know, it's not reflected in the fact that we've got this really, really family friendly product and you know, and families love it. And we've got yeah, you're right, you know, we've got all these great merchandise options that can suit both sexes it doesn't seem to get marketed like that. They seem to put too much of the old school thinking into it. Well, this is how we market it. Um, do you think there's a real market there for, yeah, like, you know, we've got four different Matilda shirts, you know, this is one that'll suit dad. This is one that'll suit mum. You know, the eight-year-old girl like this one, the 14-year-old boy like that one. Is that a is that a genuine sort of, you know, possibility?
1: Oh, well, that's. I think the Matildas this year, like Nike, I went to the launch of the Matildas kits. And not only did they do the kits, They've got like a spray, a really nice spray jacket that's just in the same colorway as the Matilda's Away kit, but it doesn't look like football match. Like my yeah. mum saw it, my mum hates sport. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'd wear that. I'd yeah. buy that. I'd buy that. And it's like, that's the thing, is it's just being a bit different about it and adding yeah. those few extra pieces. And now all of that stuff sold out because Nike have put a bit of, like Nike and the Matildas and whoever was involved in it. Have put a bit of thought behind it rather than just doing the same shit that we've had year on year on year. And like you, I would buy you give me a t shirt of Jesse Southwell eating henny penny chips. I,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's honestly a shame that people get sued to oblivion for bootleg merch because I would do it myself and I would make all the money if I could.
2: And yes. rugby league used to do that with the men's. So I was talking to Carly yesterday. I just bought a, in 1989, I think, or either 89 or nine. I must must been 89, when the, the Broncos, the Knights, the two new teams, the, the rivalry. So the, the Knights brought out um, Wally Buster shirts. It was Wally Lewis, you know, character caricature of Wally. The Knights were beating him up or something. And I just bought a $120 shirt still in his package from, from that year. Um, and I just remember back then thinking how much good of that sort of stuff there was, you know, because there wasn't the sort of um, – the the desire to sue everybody that produces anything. So there was so much of that good stuff that, you know, you could have five or six different t-shirts that you would wear throughout your week and that doesn't exist anymore. Like I really feel like the women's game could really sort of, you know, benefit from something like that. Oh,
1: and that's the thing. I don't understand why, especially when there's such a market, everyone loves a vintage football shirt, everyone loves that sort of stuff at the moment. I don't see why clubs aren't doing it. Yeah. If the mm-hmm. Knights released an extensive collection of seven different t-shirts that were really cool fun t-shirts that especially like the knights have a lot of players who are like cool people like Kalen Ponger is like a cool yeah. guy he really yeah. eats that like influencer market if they release a bunch of really sick shirts and Kalen Ponger's flogging them on Instagram and Dom Young's wearing them down the pub they would make so much money yeah like there's so much money to be made there but People don't want to do it, and then they want to sue anyone else that does it. Yeah. But like, if I if I were the head of marketing for the Knights, I would be absolutely flogging as much merch as I could because nobody else can do it because of lawsuits now. So let's just do it ourselves and chuck Jesse Southwell on a t-shirt.
2: Yeah, the the Knights are so backward in, them, in that sort of stuff. Like they've still got the same lady who's the greatest human ever in the club shop at Turton Road. And but they're so limited because she's got you know this tiny little. It's not. It's not even really a shop. It's they've just got a room in a building and and stuck the merch in there, and and she does her best. But there's no ways her and her offsider could handle a big marketing campaign. And then I just start willing to put the money into expanding that, and it just seems dumb. Like Nova Catherine's will buy anything red and blue. And it just well,
1: I, you know. that gets me. But it. I think it's it's broader than just merchandise as much as it's like I don't think they want to do anything and I've seen so many posts about it on like LinkedIn and stuff like that how like football like sporting bodies aren't doing enough to cater to the young audience if the Knights invested a bit of money into a really good social strategy and some good merch and a few things like that they could totally rebrand as like a really cool club they've got the Kalen Ponga the girls won the premiership They've got a lot of players that have that like star power that they could really market themselves to the casual fan as like a cool club. But I don't think they want to do anything. Not, and it's not even boundary pushing because it's not anything particularly interesting.
2: The Dolphins are having a crack at that. The Dolphins are really trying. The to Dolphins push that doing it
1: really well. I think Souths do it really well. Yeah. There are a few clubs that do it where I'm like, I'm not like I'm a Knights fan. But I also love Souths and I like the Dolphins. And it's because they brand themselves in a really good way. And I think yeah, it would be that for a lot of people.
2: I've got to the point where, you know, I've been buying a lot of Souths merch the last two years. Souths are my second team. You know, they're the Aboriginal team. So, you know, I love them. But I love, them. love their merch. I love their merch. You know, really? Like they've got so much better merch than the Knights have got. So, I, I got, you know, I've got a, a South spray jacket and I've got, you know, some South like shorts that I wear, you know, some South tracksuit pants because they're just so much better than the crap the Knights have.
1: Oh, yeah, and that's the thing is I think nobody hates – we're we're not good enough for anyone to hate us. Mm. We could do a lot of cool stuff appealing to the general footy fan and appealing to our diehards but also just appealing to people that like footy Yeah, if we invested a bit of money there but nobody wants to do it. Instead, we just want to – I don't even know where our money
2: is going – yeah, like, we, we can be that too. There's so many teams in American sports that are ordinary, but they have a market. Like, it's cool to support, you know, like the Denver Nuggets. They're good now, but they, you know, for so long, the Denver Nuggets were awful. But everyone would buy Denver Nuggets gear because they were a cool team and they were marketed as these lovable losers, you know. As much as it pays me to say, we're the lovable losers, you know. Like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're a threat to nobody, you know. Like, we, we miss a really big opportunity there.
1: Oh yeah. And there's just so much, but nobody wants to have any fun. And I think there's that mentality of, if we make the joke, if we make the joke, everyone else will make the joke about us. But I'm like, we were like, everyone's already making the joke about us. Yeah. Yeah. We reclaim that narrative. We then own it. And yeah, we haven't won a premiership since 2001. But my favorite thing to tell people is like, if we're looking at actual if we're looking at trophy cabinets here, we're a better team than Parramatta.
2: Yeah, we're yeah, absolutely. We're, 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 yeah. That,
1: conversation, that we are a better team than Parramatta. I would be owning the fact that, like, yeah, we've had a, a shit 20 years, but we're still not the worst team.
0: Like, we're it's just better being, than a shit 36
2: years. Yeah. <laughs> like the the Warriors, the club is big as the Warriors never won a thing, you know the Cronulla have been around in 67-1-1 premiership. Uh, we're nowhere near the biggest losers in the comp, but we've, we've honestly created our own images that we are.
1: Yeah, and I think it's because we don't want to have any fun. We
2: don't want to go... Mm. like That's, I, it's, a very, it's a very Newcastle vibe to take yourself too seriously.
1: Yeah, we just take ourselves too seriously. And I'm sorry, who the fuck are we from Newcastle to take ourselves yeah. too seriously? Yeah. Like, we could have so much fun with it if we just sort of like swallowed our pride a little bit and then became the cool club. That's like, hey, we probably aren't gonna win a premiership in the next five to ten years. But we could be like you look at like what Wrexham have done over in Wales and stuff like that. You can do so much and then you get the money and then you get like once you've got the money, you can get resources and you can build your club bigger and better, but I think we keep waiting to magically win a premiership and then be able to do all those things, which is never going to happen. We need to get the money and rebrand the club so we can be successful, and then we'll win the premiership.
2: The, the the dodgy billionaire situation really, you know, I think affected our, our entire being, you know, like we 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 took that risk of putting ourselves out there, and it burnt, nearly burnt the club to the ground. And I think everyone's so scared now that we just keep our head down and try to stay out of trouble.
1: Yeah, I feel that. I feel like we've we're everyone's a bit rattled. Yeah, but it's I just don't see the point in like I don't know. I just feel like everyone, and it's a big thing. I think it's an interesting thing. Being a woman in sport is how much, and I think it's it comes from the fact that there are so many men in this industry that. Have to take themselves so seriously because there's a lot of people that are in jobs they probably don't deserve.
2: Yeah, it's fair. So they have yeah. to go.
1: It's all really, really serious business, and I've got to pretend it's really serious business because if people cotton on to the fact that like it's a lot of it's really not that deep, I'm gonna lose my job. But nobody wants like the the amount of just like absolute sourness in something that I'm like, it's recreation, like sport is meant to be fun. It's a hobby that we've turned into a business. But at the end of the day, it's a bunch of guys running around, tackling each other and kicking a ball. If you can't have fun with it, what the fuck are we all doing?
2: Here? It, it, it's, and it's a real sort of issue with people I know really well that have sort of gone away from rugby league. and Their biggest issue is the fact that we treat – Someone like Ben Hunter who dropped a kickoff in a grand final as poorly as we treat people that bash their partners. Oh yeah. You know, that and, and I know I know it's several women and men too, but several women in my life that have walked away from the game and gone, and there's no way that something that happens on a football field should ever, ever get more headlines than a rugby league player, you know, that does damage to someone he should be loving.
1: Oh, and that's like I look like my my mum, like grew up in Newcastle, was huge into rugby for years and years and years walked away from it, and now I'm only just slowly getting her back into sport through the Matildas and through women's sport because she just grew so disenfranchised with it because it's that whole mentality of, like, nobody that isn't, uh, like, big, white, straight male feels welcome in the game when we constantly look past all the bad shit. Because we're not holding any of that to account and we care more about a player messing up on the field than someone allegedly beating the shit out of their wall. It's like the, um, oh, I'm blanking on names, the Knights player that called the Queen.
2: Caitlin Moran. Caitlin Moran. Caitlin
1: Moran. That happened and that was called, I forget what the quote was, but it was like.
2: The most most disgusting thing in rugby league history.
1: In rugby league. In the same week. That Chris Dawson went to prison yeah, I know. for murdering his wife. Yeah, like yeah. that. Nothing has ever summed up rugby league more than that week in the media.
2: I'll tell you another interesting one. So when Latrell Mitchell bought himself a brand new, I'm not sure it was a Lamborghini, Ferrari. He had, anyway, he had a flash hundred thousand dollar like, car. Uh, took it to took it to training. Now that was on the front page of the paper the same day a rugby league player was going about to go to jail for um, yeah, uh, domestic violence
1: yeah and people care more and that's the thing that that i think i think rugby league for too long and it's interesting because afl afl players aren't a lot better but i think the afl brand has protected itself a lot more because i think so many people are just so disenfranchised with rugby league because of all of those scandals and because of the lack of accountability and because a lot of the men who maybe legally weren't, not weren't found guilty, but charges were dropped or someone was paid off or something like that. A lot of these men still work in the league and are highly, highly respected in the league and are protected by clubs and by the organization and by people in power. And that tells fans where we all stand morally. Like if you're going to protect someone that has allegedly done something that is quite bad, it tells anyone that's ever had an experience with that sort of behaviour that, hey, we're condoning this and we're actually going to protect this person and we're going to put this person up on a pedestal to be highly respected as a part of our organisation. It's, it's, it's no secret why people, particularly women, go, I want no part in this.
2: Yeah. It, it, and you're right about the AFL, but the one thing I will say is the AFL are currently trying to sweep under the rug uh, the Cawthorne situation. Yeah, oh, you know, which which to me, which to me is is literally the worst thing that's happened in Australian sport. the fact that you know clubs were encouraging indigenous women to have uh, terminations to suit their husband's career.
1: Oh, but even the thing with that hawthorne stuff, like i had I got to the point where I had to delete a bunch of tweets about it because I was getting so much hate yeah. that I, I just couldn't handle it. Yeah. but even with that, and I don't want to be sued by Alastair Clarkson here. but with all of this stuff that's going on, everything that's all of the legalities of it is like internal club investigations, regardless of what those internal club investigations find that doesn't like the clubs could say, Oh, there's no case here. That still doesn't fundamentally say that those people didn't have those experiences. Yeah, it's it's saying that either it's not a case for the AFL to handle or, and people like, the victims don't want to speak out. I'm like, because look at the media coverage of this thing. Like in what world,
2: he, yeah. he he stepped aside, and the media went on a pity party for three days for him.
1: Yeah, in what? Oh, and there, there was a, a minute silence for him yeah. in Indigenous yeah. round. and I'm like, yeah.
2: I'm yeah. <laughs> really as is. as an Indigenous North Melbourne fan, it was the most disgusted I think I've ever been.
1: <laughs> like, but that's the thing is, I look at it and I'm like, no wonder people are like. Well, all these so called victims don't want to speak out with their name out there. I'm like, because look at the way, like. I've been ripped to shreds. People have called yep. for me to lose my job yep. over simply talking about the fact that these allegations exist. Yep. It's no wonder why these women who have allegedly lived through deeply traumatic things yep. aren't putting their name out there and that we know who a lot of these people are. Like it's not hard to put two and two together and look at who these stories are realistically yep. allegedly about. It's not hard to see why they've gone, right, I'm out of the AFL cycle now. I just want to move on with my life and I'm not going to re like, I wouldn't choose to relive my trauma. And I've had this conversation with a lot of men in my lives when it talk, when we talk about the Jared Hayne thing and stuff like that. And I just said to them, if any of these traumatic things happen to me as a woman, the way that we have spoken about it says to me, is it worth even trying to press charges or come forward with it? Because it's more deeply traumatic to go through all, like there's no way that all of these victims that are coming forward are not even more traumatized after coming forward. Like yeah, it's worse it's... for them. Yeah.
2: Like and, I then, really and, the, them. and the media circle just starts back up, you know, and then, and then, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the thing is I think it's so hard for any, like back to our original point. I think that does sport such a disservice because you alienate so much of your potential fan base. And people go. It's that the whole mentality of like sports shouldn't be political, but it's like rugby league is the
2: idea it's of why rugby the game league. happens.
1: And by rugby
0: league was a political movement.
1: Yeah, and that's, that nobody wants to have that conversation. That rugby league is inherently political, but I think mm. that the thing is you look at these stories, and I don't necessarily think that going hey. Um, Latrell Mitchell getting racially abused at work that's not a political issue that's like a fundamental his rights as a human being issue but people want to brush it all off as politics and that alienates such huge parts of the fan base I'm no expert, I just love the game but more than that I love the community if you're a fan of rugby league or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. Unique, affordable, and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's Tees.
0: We could talk all night, though. I, I want to finish on a. Um, I do want to finish on a uh, on a um, uh, a lighter note, as it were. And I want to read to you. Uh, I want to read to you both some um, some words that uh, that came to me during our recording tonight, if you'll permit me. <laughs> I have an opinion I've been sitting on for a long time, and I've run out of friends, boyfriends, and family to rant to. Are you ready for it? Avocado fucking sucks. Let me clarify something. I'm a basic bitch at heart. I love brunch, Instagram, boomerangs. Instagram b- boomerangs, Sorry. Remember when they were a thing? and having a cheeky wine, so I should love avocado, and trust me, I tried, I really did, but I don't, it's disgusting, it's overrated, and it tastes like creamy grass, the devil's food. The wonderful words given to us by Lavender Bye, and this was back in... The th- on the, in September 2019 where you then subsequently tweeted I wrote about not liking avocados yesterday and everyone lost their fucking minds wait till they find out I also think bacon is gross
2: <laughs> oh, oh my god you, you've lost your bacon avocado, well, I can take it and leave it bacon I,
1: I, I'm, I'm on the fence of bacon now, my thing was I worked at McDonald's for a really long time
0: worked oh, at, fair
1: you, you work at McDonald's through breakfast for seven years and you get to the point where like I like the taste of bacon,
2: but the smell of it makes me physically. See, I was the same. I was a, I was a McDonald's kid too, um, but me it was cheeseburgers. I could, the smell of cheeseburgers just drove me mental for ten years, and I I could not. But now I love them. But yeah, um, yeah, I can I can see with the bacon. It's, I think it's distance because it was like that, and
1: then I worked in a bunch of cafes and restaurants. And now I like but I still won't cook bacon. Like, if if I'm with my parents and Dad goes, hey, on you want bacon next breakfast? Absolutely. I'll go through Macca's, I'll get my bacon egg muffin. Anyone else can cook bacon, but I am not. I'm not having my house full <laughs> of like bacon. I just can't do
0: it.
2: See, I'm, I'm the opposite. If my house was like bacon, I'd be a good mood.
1: No, I can't do
0: it. Lavender, It's it's been an eye-opening experience to me. i I've, it really has been a pleasure to sort of listen to you, uh, to a variety of thoughts that you have, particularly on the game. Um, you know, given the way the game is sort of covered today, I think, and because listening to a lot of what you were talking about in terms of you know the the monetization potential, the the, the limitations that the game places on itself, that, that you know represent this. Rugby league is a funny sport because as, as you sort of pointed pointed out, the whole idea of you know, rugby league or sport and politics not mixing you know, flies in the face of the very way that the game was created. But it goes even further than that in the rugby league as a game has always, it, it, it's always been actually about breaking boundaries. And, and pushing sort of um boundaries and, and seeing where you can go and you know that's why the game was created that's how the game's evolved you know that's why um arthur beatson was the first indigenous uh, uh, man to to captain his country rugby league has always been about going to those new frontiers and, and finding those new avenues and so it's actually quite interesting to me to listen to your thoughts on the game the potential there the way that the places that it can go is that what what happened to the character of rugby league that doesn't want to take those opportunities because and particularly this week in the last few days we haven't really you haven't had a chance to mention it but obviously the passing of tina turner that in and of, like her role in the game that in and of itself the okay you know the coverage of her life is actually coming out now we're remembering what a what a huge step it was to make this this american grandmother that, this black american grandmother the face of rugby league and yet that was a game changer not just for rugby league but for australian sport in the way that it packaged itself so love, it's been it's been absolutely fascinating to listen to a lot of your thoughts um just on the game on you know on a variety of things and um yeah thank you so much for joining us and uh, and giving you giving us your time um this evening it's uh, it's been an absolute
2: pleasure
1: Thank you for having me. It's
2: always great to talk about Newcastle night. I wish more podcasts would have on to honest, talk about the Newcastle Night. Bretto, any last thoughts? No, mate. I will encourage everyone but to really make sure you get in front of a TV to see the Jessie Southwell on Thursday night. I'm, yeah, it's she, she's ours. She's a Katara Bear. I have no doubt she'll play her entire career at our club and she'll be the captain for 15 years. Um, yeah, get in front of the TV, enjoy it because we haven't seen an athlete like this in Newcastle, certainly since Joey and maybe ever. Give her a statue. She's going to get a statue before Andrew
0: John's at this rate.
1: And as as she should, as she should.
0: (laughs) Hey, thanks everybody for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure to um, present, uh, you know, the latest episode of Bay 53 to go the blues in the men, go the blues on, uh, in the women's game as well. Um, We'll see you all on the socials and uh, yeah, enjoy the rugby league,
2: everyone. Thanks guys.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the only other thing I realised as well was um, so yesterday's game by around next block of Origin and um, obviously the um, women's Origin on uh, Thursday night we have to we have to put a significant yep. portion of the show to uh, Jessie Southwell.
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I think I think that should be the focus, mate. Right? That it, the women's one be, that should be the focus. Yeah, hundred percent.
1: I absolutely love to
2: talk about Jessie Southwell. Oh, well, we are, are going to have fun
0: tonight then, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs>